Welcome to Skywave Audio Theater. I'm your host, Norman Gilliland. As a marshal in Dodge City, Matt Dillon is accustomed to issuing orders, not uh, taking hat in hand and asking for a date. But that's the situation when an important social occasion calls for it. We'll find out also that Matt is something of a, a social progressive. After 10 years of radio and 20 of television, the producers of Gunsmoke never really did describe the relationship between Matt Dillon and Kitty Russell. Kitty was described as uh, someone that Matt just had to see from time to time. In an early episode of the radio series, we'll find out what Matt and Kitty make of a date. It's an unusual story. It's called Kitty. And this is Gunsmoke from November 29th, 1952. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. morning, Mr. Bumby. Huh? Oh, oh, Marshal. <laughs> morning, Mr. Dillon. Morning, Sam. Is, uh, Kitty around? Oh, don't know she's up yet, but if she is, she ought to be down soon. <laughs> oh, I'll wait. Nippy this morning. Oh, feels good. It's a nice time of year. Huh? Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like spring myself. Uh, Sam. You better wash that glass over. Huh? Hmm? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, can I get you something? Beer, maybe? Uh, got any coffee? Sure. Just made a pot. Oh, that'll be fine. Her face is something wonderful. That's pretty, man. <laughs> you got a pretty voice. Oh, it is. Good enough for calling hogs, I guess. <laughs> yeah. you, you just get up? A while ago. Why? Boy, oh, it just strikes me I haven't seen you close to early like this. Uh-huh. No, no, I, I, you look fine. I, 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 mean, I mean that you... You better quit by your head. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's... Where's Sam? Oh, he's bringing in coffee. Oh, Sam, cup for me, please. Sure, Miss Kitty. What's the occasion, Matt? Uh... Kitty, uh, there's a party tomorrow night, a dance. It's a benefit for the new school down at the hall, you know. <laughs> and uh, ever fellas to bring a girl? 
you know? <laughs> it happens, it dances. Go on. Well, uh, what I'm trying to... Will you go? Uh, with me? I'd kind of like to, Matt, but... No, thanks. Oh. Well, I gotta work here. You know that. Besides... Well, you I... ought to be able to get off. Well, even if I could, ladies might not take kindly to it, Matt. I... Not rightly polite society. Ah, what do you care about? What the... Well, thanks, anyway, Matt. Ah, that smells wonderful. Sammy, I think I'll marry you. <laughs> Me? <laughs> shucks. <laughs> Me? Oh, shucks. <laughs> uh, listen, Kitty, about the dance, I, I've already bought the uh, you're, you're sweet, Matt, and I thank you kindly for thinking of me, but... You better ask someone else. Well, it, it isn't... Sam, will, will you go and polish up your glasses, please? Hmm? Oh. Sure, Mr. Dillon. Sure. Now, look, Kitty, I'm asking you to go with me. It, well, it's important to me that you go. Are you making love to me, Matt? At this hour in the morning? No, no, I, I mean it. I, I want you to go to the dance. You want to be embarrassed. You want everyone to stare at us. You know what they'll say? My, my, the marshal really should have better sense than to bring that woman here. It ain't decent. It ain't proper. <laughs> okay. Well, it's true. I'm a hostess at the Texas Trail, a, a saloon. You know what they think about me. Well, I... Will you go, Kitty? No. I'll call by for you at seven, huh? I'll drink a bottle of whiskey and clout some old biddy on the head. Then you'll be sorry. Oh, Kitty. I haven't got anything to wear, Matt. I can't wear my working clothes. You look just fine like you are, Kitty. Just fine, just like you are. Marshal. Yeah. I shouldn't, but I guess I'll go to the dance with you. <laughs> I'll be ready at seven. How do you talk about a woman like Kitty? The color of her hair, eyes, the shape of her legs, the way she spoke, thought. Well, that's a picture you had to get by looking and hearing. Otherwise, you, you'd never know it. And I felt real good about taking Kitty to the party. The first time we'd really be out in company. And I liked the idea. Mr. Dillon. Good morning, Chester. Nice day. What is that? That, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, all over my desk, that. Ink. Yes, sir, I know. I was just cleaning it up, Mr. Dillon. Seems like a big blue bottle fly, last of his kind this fall, I guess. Big fool blue bottle fly was a setting on your desk, Mr. Dillon. Oh, you're slopping it all over the floor, Chester. Yes, sir, I see it. That lazy fool blue bottle fly was a stomping all over your desk, Mr. Dillon, and I took a whack at him with a paper I happened to have in my hand, and I got him. Well, thanks a lot. Well, that's all right, Mr. Dillon. If there's anything in this world I hate, it's a big maggoty blue bottle yeah, fly. Yeah, 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 I know, Chester. Uh, the mail come in yet? Yes, sir. A couple of minutes ago. It's right over there. Oh, okay. Uh... 
There. I think that should do it, Mr. Dillon. All right, Chester. Anything likely in the mail, Mr. Dillon? No, no. Uh, look, Chester, uh, we better get these government circulars posted. To... Would you do that for me? Yes, sir, I'll do that. Uh, say, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what is it, Chester? About the dance tomorrow. Now, what about it? Well, you're going, aren't you, sir? Doc's going. He's taking Ms. McNish. I- I'm going. Everybody's going. You are going, aren't you, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I'm going. Don't seem right, a man here standing not to go to a big social like we're... You are? Yes. Well, that's fine. Just fine. Doc and, and me, we were talking, and it just didn't seem right to us that a man like you didn't have no real nice sweet girl to escort to a big social. I got one, Chester. A real nice sweet girl. I'm taking Kitty. Miss Kitty? I asked her before I came down if she accepted. Well, that's good. Miss Kitty. Uh, that's right, Chester. Uh, I uh, got I got a couple of letters off to Washington, Chester. You, you want to go and see about posting those circulars, huh? Yes, Mr. Dillon. Ah, fine. What is it, Chester? Well, Mr. Dillon, it it ain't none of my business, and I, I did not have no right to say it. Say what? Well, sir, I... I... Yeah? I was wondering if I might borrow one of them fancy ties off you for the party. That's not your business. That's what you haven't got any right to say. Yes, sir. No, that's... Right. You're a liar, Chester. But you can borrow a tie. I thank you kindly, Mr. Dillon. You work for a long time with a man, and you share a lot of life and a lot of death. And after a while, you you know him even better than yourself. Well, that's the way it is with... Chester with me. Now, he had something on his mind, and I figured after a while he'd get it off. Well, the morning went, and it was almost noon when Chester came back. Gonna go have some dinner, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I think I will. How about you? Hungry as a raggle-bone possum. <laughs> Did you get the posters up? Yes, sir. Well, okay, let's go. Uh, Mr. Dillon? Yeah. I guess there's something you ought to know, sir. There's talk. Yeah. All right, Chester, come on, get it out. It's all over town. About you taking Miss Kitty to the dance tomorrow night. What do you mean, all over town? I only asked her this morning. Yes, sir, I know. Best I can figure, Sam over at the Texas Trail must have heard you and let it slip. There's been a mighty fierce mess of gum clobbering up and down all over. All right. Uh, thanks for telling me, Chester. It ain't none of my business. Yeah, I know. You said that before. Yes, sir. I surely did. Well, let's go get something to eat. It's hard to tell about people. Maybe it's hard to tell about yourself because you come under that same heading, people. 
And when they're mean and small, there's not an animal to touch them. Chester and I walked down the street, and it didn't take long to hear and see what was going on. Some of the drifters leaning against the wall on the corner came right out with it. Morning, Marshal. I understand there's a Galantine's got herself a new boat. What did you say? <laughs> Maybe you ought to look into it, Marshal. Folks are being downright rude. Mister, you're gonna... Come on, Chester. <laughs> ought to haul him in. Every one. Yeah. What are you going to charge him with? Pestilence, Mr. Dillon. Just plain pestilence. I knew better what Kitty had meant about the ladies of the town when a couple came out of Olivet's dry goods store. He didn't see me until it was too late. I'm to the dance committee. It's indecent, that's what it is, why she's common. Nothing but a common saloon woman. What's this city coming to when a United States marshal... Oh. Morning, Miss Sprinkle. Uh. <laughs> when a man's born, they, they say he's blessed or cursed with a lot of things already in him. Take pride, for instance. Sometimes pride can be a curse. Well, maybe I had more in my share. Maybe it would have been a sight kinder if I'd not taken Kitty to the dance. But I did. Turn for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, this hint for weekend driving. Whatever you do, be moderate. Be obedient to all traffic laws. Be careful. Use your head and don't take chances. Now for the second act of Gunsmoke. picked up Kitty at the Texas Trail at 7 the next evening. She was waiting by the side door, and when I saw her, she kind of moved back in the shadows, almost as though she was ashamed for me to see her. Hi. Hello, Matt. Are you all set? Well, I guess so. Matt, are you sure? Hey, you... Kitty, you look fine. Hey, you look just fine. <laughs> Do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. We walked along the street down to the hall, and I, I kept looking at her like, like I say, you know, you, you, you had to know this, Kitty, to understand what I mean, and <laughs> even then you get a surprise. She was like a 17-year-old on her first date, and she was like all the women you'd ever known and loved, soft and innocent. And something else, 
something that's female and you can't figure out what. Something that makes you drunk without a drink inside you. It was snowing a little and the flakes caught in her hair and melted into the black of her velvet cloak. And just before we went in, I looked at her again. And I didn't care. I, I was proud she was with me. Evening, Marshal Dillon. Evening, Miss Murphy. Uh, you know Miss Russell? I do. You have your tickets, Marshal Dillon? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here we are. Fine. Uh, go right in, won't you? Oh, sure. Oh, uh, excuse me, Mrs. Murphy. Is there somewhere I can put my cloak? Oh, uh, uh, yes, yes, of course. Um, the ladies' reception room is right through there. I, I didn't catch the name. Catherine Russell, ma'am. Excuse me, ma'am. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll wait for you. Thanks. You better. I could see them through the big open doors in the hall. They were all there. Faces flushed, smiling, happy, dancing. And all the women seemed pretty and the men handsome. And Chester was up on the platform calling the dance, and Doc was fiddling. And I was waiting for my dancing partner, Miss Kitty Russell. What took you so long? I'm sorry, Matt. I had a skirmish with one of the genteel females in there. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that she? You know, I get the idea I'm not welcome around here. Uh, uh, let's go in and get some punch, huh? Sure. How are you, John? Oh, that's a nice dress, Kitty. I haven't worn it since a few years back in New Orleans. Hey, Marshal. Oh, Miss Kitty. That's Doc. Well, hiya. Oh, fine, Doc. Hello, Doc. I say, say, we got a bottle of whiskey outside. You care to join it? (laughs) Oh, this punch. (laughs) (laughs) Not right now. Thank you, Doc. Oh, well, see, Miss Kitty, I saw you come in. Best-looking woman in here. <laughs> oh, there's lots of scratching going on. <laughs> Thank you, Doc. If you see Mrs. Magnish, don't tell her where I am, will you? Man gets kind of dry, fiddling. Oh, I'll so long. So long, Doc. Punch, Marshal Dillon? Uh, Kitty? I guess so. Uh, Mr. Sprinkle, have you met Miss Catherine Russell? Uh, no, no, I'm afraid I haven't. You got a short memory, Mr. Sprinkle. Huh? I could have swore it was you in the Texas Trail a couple of weeks back. Drunker than a hoot owl. Don't you remember I had to slap your face? Uh, I, I think... Edward? Well, I, it, Edward? Yes, dear. You let somebody else take care of the punch. I want you to come with oh, me. Oh, well, I, mean, I, I promised. I, I'm, I'm on the committee. Even, Miss Sprinkle. I have no wish to speak to you, Marshal Dillon, or this woman you brought with you. I will not have my husband serving such people. Aren't you being a trifle bad-mannered, Miss Sprinkle? 
How dare you say that? Well, aren't you? I suggest that you leave, Marshal. Emmy. You're not wanted here. Not with that woman you've seen fit to bring. Come on, Matt. I want to go. No. This is a public dance, Miss Sprinkle. Right now, you're trying to make it private. If you can't behave like a lady, I'll thank you to leave this lady's presence. What? Now, see here, Marshal. You can't talk like that to my wife. Hey, Kitty! What do you say, Kitty? Hmm. Matt, please. <laughs> I want to go. We're not going anywhere. We're staying. Uh, uh, how about some music? All right, all right now, folks. It'll be a wall this time. Thanks for the punch, Mr. Sprinkle. Come on, Kitty. I warned you, man. Now, please, will you take me out of here before something happens? Nothing's going to happen, Kitty. You and me are going to dance. Have a good time. That's all. You're acting like a kid. Matt, it won't work. I've seen this kind of thing before. May I have this dance, Miss Kitty? Please, Matt. You're being pig-headed and you know it. Let's get out. You're refusing me, Miss Kitty? Oh, Matt. We danced. But it wasn't what I hoped it would be. Kitty closed her eyes. I guess she was trying to blot it out. But I could see the other couples looking, whispering. And one by one, dropping away over into a small group that got larger. There were only about six of us left when the wall ended. That's when the stranger and a couple of his pals walked out onto the floor. They were drifters, probably been in town for a week. And they were having their fun before they moved on. Marshal, I got a painful duty. Yeah? The folks in this town seem real upset about you bringing that mm, woman in here. What's your name? I'm just a fella. I kind of made myself and my friends here a committee of three, seeing as how everything's done by committees here. And we, <laughs> yeah, we figured it would be best if you take your mm, friend home. Mr. I'm the marshal in Dodge City, and I... I'm leaving. You're staying here, Kitty. She's smarter than you, Marshal. Everything all right? Everything's fine, Chester. This ain't a matter of law, you know, Marshal. It's decency and, and what's right. Beyond Marshal, this ain't right. Mister? I'm taking this badge off. Chester, you stay here with Kitty. Matt, don't you do it. Now, come Matt. on outside. You! We're going to talk some more about this out there. Ah, it's cold outside. Now, you be a good fella and get out of where you ain't wanted. You know I won't hit you in here, don't you? Were you thinking of doing that, Marshal? Now, that ain't lawful. I ain't done nothing. Kitty. Kitty, wait. Now, now there's a gal with sense. All right, mister. No, I'm telling you. You and your pals are going to have to come out sooner or later, and when you do, you better start hightailing it out of Dodge before I catch up with you. We'll think of that. We sure will, (laughs) Marshal. Just three no-good drifters, hating the law, finding pleasure in trouble. 
Kitty had gone, and I went out into the street. It had stopped snowing. Just cold. Much colder. I went up to the Texas Trail. There was only two people in there. Some guy dead drunk on a table and someone else standing at the bar looking into the mirror at me. What do you have, Mr. Dillon? Nothing, sir. Yeah. Well, I, I got some things to do in the back. You give me a call if anyone comes in, will you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, kid. Shut up. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bad. Bad. Oh, Kitty. Oh, it's all right. Sure, it's all right. That's so mad. I, I could... Yeah, I know. I, I should have known better. No, it, it was me, not you. No, it wasn't that either. It was all those polite ladies and gentlemen. Give me a kerchief, will you? Yeah. Here. It's been a long time since I cried. Yeah, sure. It wasn't so much for me. For you. I I wanted to cry right there in the hall. Watching you and knowing there was nothing you could do. Nice mess of people we got in Dodge. No, it's not them, man. It's me. I've run into this before. The only difference was I didn't have you around. I wanted it to be right tonight because of you. A lot of narrow-minded prayer spouting. Yeah. They hurt your pride, didn't they? No. No, it wasn't that. No? No, I, I wanted you to go with me. That made me real happy. But maybe we're different, Matt. You and me figure life different to them. That's not their fault. There's a lot of folks there I know. I I smile at them on the street. They talk to me. But tonight, well, that was different. I made them uncomfortable. Yeah? Well, they didn't do a bad job with you. Oh, you can't look at it that way. And you can't go fighting the whole town, either. There's three fellas going to get hurt. No, I don't want you to do, the, do that, Matt. Just let it go. Let it go, Matt. They don't mean nothing. You know what means something to me? What? That you asked me to go to the dance with you. I knew what was going to happen, but it was worth the chance. I thank you for it, Matt. You're a funny one. Am I? <laughs> but you sure showed them up, those women. <laughs> the way you look. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, you look pretty fine yourself. Sam! Yeah? Uh, you got any champagne, Sam? 
What? Have I got any what? Champagne. Well, yeah. I guess maybe. A bottle or two? Yeah, maybe. Sure. Well, break it out. All right. Miss Kitty, I think the next dance is mine. Oh, Matt. I'd be real pleased, Mr. Dillon. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Anthony Ellis, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Vivi Janis, Bob Sweeney, Lawrence Dobkin, and Mary Lansing. Parley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Don't miss Robert Trout and his timely roundup of world news tomorrow on most of these same CBS radio stations. Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, Amos and Andy are here every Sunday on the CBS Radio Network. It turns out that not all of the conflict in Dodge City involved gunplay. Some of it had to do with social mores. That was a very unusual episode of Gunsmoke. It was called Kitty from November 29, 1952. As it turned out, Kitty was not one to pull her punches in awkward social situations. I suppose in her line of work there were many of those. And the same might be said of another lady who has plenty of awkward social situations. It's our Miss Brooks next, here on Skywave Audio Theater. She had that ongoing crush on biology teacher Philip Boynton, but uh, getting his attention wasn't easy when his frogs and guinea pigs are his main interests. So, when she gets lots of publicity, wanted or otherwise, from a prominent magazine, will Miss Brooks Love life, get a boost? It's not going to be a snap. This is Model School Teacher Armis Brooks, starring Eve Arden, from November 21st, 1948.
Palm Olive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. And although one day in the life of a school teacher is pretty much the same as the next, at night you... Well, perhaps we'd better let Connie Brooks speak for herself. Although one day in the life of a schoolteacher is pretty much the same as the next, at night, you wish you were dead. <laughs> Not that I'm bored. How could I be with Mr. Philip Boynton teaching biology at Madison? Of course, every new frog he gets in his laboratory represents an arch-rival. But I shouldn't complain. It gives me an added interest in life. Each morning before I get out of bed, I look down to see if I'm getting webbed feet. <laughs> Somehow, ever since we've been on the faculty together, Mr. Boynton just doesn't seem to think of me as a woman. I can't quite understand that, because when I think of Mr. Boynton, I always think of me as a woman. <laughs> and I almost always think of Mr. Boynton, or dream about him. Like the other morning, around 7.25... Oh, of course, Philip. I'd love to go dancing with you. When will you come for me? That's quick work. <laughs> me, Connie. May I come in? Oh, it's Mrs. Davis. Come in, Mrs. Davis. I thought I'd wait before your alarm clock went off. It's so loud and nerve-wracking. Oh, I'm pretty used to it by now, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> like to clear my throat before I pour orange juice into it. Well, I guess I'd better get up and perform my morning ablutions, like they say. You can ablute later, Connie. You stay right where you are. Oh, but Mrs. Davis, it's 7.30. No, no, it isn't. I set the clock a half hour ahead. But why? Snap. Snap? That's right. They want pictures of you from the minute you first wake up till you go to sleep. Who does? Snap. You're faded. Uh, <laughs> what is all this about, Mrs. Davis? Snap is a magazine, Connie. Some time ago, I read that they were looking for the ideal American teacher for an interview. The next thing I knew, the layout editor was here in town and had called me up for an appointment with you. Me? But why me? I guess somebody recommended you as the model teacher. Somebody like who? <laughs> somebody like me. I wrote them all about you. What a wonderful teacher you are and how all your pupils love you. Oh, you shouldn't have done that, Mrs. Davis. I didn't. What? I discovered the letter in my desk this morning. I'd forgotten to mail it. Oh. So it must have been somebody else who... Oh, here they are, Connie. They've been waiting in the living room. Oh, but Mrs. Davis, I'm not dressed. Come on in, folks. Snap, snap's a school teacher. Uh, where is the little lady? Ah, uh, here she is. Well, and not such a little lady after all. Tootsies reach all the way over the end of the bed. <laughs> Those are my stockings hanging over the rail. Uh, my name is Peterson. Uh, Pete to my friends. And, uh... This is Miss Forrest. How do you do? If you'll just wait in the living room for a few minutes, I'll get myself a Well, frankly, Miss be... Brooks, we'd rather start in here. You see, I'm the layout editor. That's nice, but before you lay me out, I'd, <laughs> I'd like 
to comb my hair and wash my face. I wish you wouldn't. Just put your head back on the pillow for a minute, will you? Oh, but I... You pose the way the folks want you to, Connie. I'm going to make some breakfast for all of us. Swell, that'll be our second shot. Snap, snaps the school teacher snapping up a breakfast. Good, huh? <laughs> Very snappy. Two minutes. Now, as I was saying, my dear, we don't want you to do a thing for this picture. Realism is what our readers want. The eyelids practically stuck together. Little straggly clumps of hair flopping over the ears. And those little tired lines around the mouth that looks like it just tasted a raw lamb chop. <laughs> we want you just the way you are. Thank you, dear. <laughs> Have you picked your pallbearers yet? <laughs> That's just what we want, that snarling look when the teacher first gets up in the morning. Got it. Now listen, you Please, two. Please, Brooks. We're going to be together all day. It'll be much more pleasant for all of us if you cooperate. Well, it isn't that I don't want to cooperate. It's just that I don't like to have my picture taken without a little makeup. Even if it's only an inch or two like you've got on. <laughs> aren't you? I use very little makeup. A dab here and a dab there. Here a dab, there a dab, everywhere a dab, dab. <laughs> no, Miss Forrest, I'm not sure I really want this spread. I know, dear, but when a woman reaches a certain age, some spread is inevitable. Oh! <laughs> you mean in the magazine? Oh, yes. Well, let's talk about it after breakfast. I'm starved. Good. Will you join us at the table, or do you want your saucer of milk on the back fence? <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my pancakes. You know, the batter is my own invention. Oh, really? Uh, what's in it? If she tells you, you'll never eat them again. <laughs> Instead of eggs, I use hot peanut oil. Then to the customary amount of flour and milk, I had half a cup of baking powder mixed with cornmeal, two cups of yummy yogurt. And while the whole thing is being whipped in the mix master, I gradually add a teaspoonful of cider vinegar and just a smidgen of goose liver. <laughs> She's got a recipe for stuffed cabbage that would send you screaming into the hills. Oh, now, Connie, it isn't that good. Hmm. Well, I'll help you clear the table, Mrs. Davis. Oh, get a shot of this, Pete. The school yeah. teacher helps out with chores at home before going to classroom. Up here, take a stack of dishes, Miss Brooks. All right. I don't mind your taking my picture so much now that I'm dressed. Well, I don't blame you, my dear. That's a very nice suit. Uh, shark skin, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's such durable material. One can tell at a glance that it's worn you for years. <laughs> You're very observant. It would be a shame to see those great big eyes of yours closed for a while. <laughs> I think maybe you'd better get somebody else for these pictures. But, Connie, think of the prestige it will give you at school. It will? Of course. Everybody making a fuss over you. Why, I bet it would make even Mr. Boynton sit up and beg. Mr. Boynton? Uh, the school mascot. He's a schnauzer. <laughs> Don't try to pet him because he snaps. What? Mm, oh, never mind. Don't worry about it. I've changed my mind. You can take all the pictures you want. <laughs> Oh, that must be Walter Denton. He said he'd pick me up this morning. Oh, that's right. Your car is in the repair shop again, isn't it, Connie? Oh, you own a car, Miss Brooks? Yes, I do. 
Well, what kind of a car? Well, I had a brand new 49 Hudson, but I didn't want to show off, so I traded it for a 32 Stutz. <laughs> Walter, eh? Must be nice to have a man call for you in the morning. Who is he? The well-known absent-minded professor? No, dear. This one's more your type. Oh? Sixteen years old, and he can't run very fast. <laughs> Say, uh, you think Walter will mind if we ride down to school with you, Miss Brooks? Oh, I guess it'll be all right. Come along. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, Miss Forrest. Uh, thanks for breakfast. <laughs> Davis, I'll help you sterilize the mix master. <laughs> well, good morning, Walter. Boy, somebody looks yummy this morning. Why, Walter, do you really think so? I sure do, Miss Brooks. Where did you meet her? <laughs> oh, you mean Miss Forrest. Miss Forrest, Mr. Peterson, meet Walter Denton. They're with Snap Magazine, Walter. Uh, glad to know you, Walter. Hi. Well, I'm certainly glad to make your acquaintance, Mr. Denton. Uh, what subject do you teach at Madison High? Teach? Oh, I'm not a teacher. Although I do coach some of the younger students in subjects that just naturally come easy to me. <laughs> like, uh, lunch period and study hall. <laughs> well, it was a natural mistake. You seem so gallant, so worldly, Mr. Denton. Ah, uh, just call me Walter. <laughs> Walter, then you must call me Stephanie. I must? Gosh, do you really think I'm worldly, Stephanie? I certainly do. I knew this morning was going to be different, even though it started out like all the other crummy mornings in my life. <laughs> On my way over here, I just felt that something romantic was going to happen. And sure enough, here you are. Why, Walter... What a lovely speech. It's not a speech. It's merely what I feel, Stephanie. Shall we go to school now, Walter, or just stay here in the casbah? Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, will continue in just a moment. But first, here is Vern Smith with an important announcement. Ladies, what's your complexion problem? My skin's so dingy. Mine's oily. My skin's dull, coarse-looking. For a lovelier complexion, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive soap the way doctors advise. Leading skin specialists have now proved the palm olive plan, using nothing but palm olive soap, can bring fresher, brighter complexions. Yes, regardless of age, type of skin, or previous beauty care. Now, here's what these doctors advise. Wash your face with palm olive soap. Massaging for one minute with palm olive's soft, lovely lather. This cleansing massage brings your skin palm olive soap's full beautifying effect. Rinse. Do this three times a day for 14 days. It's that simple. But remember, 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advise this way for 1,285 women with all types of skin. Dry, oily, normal, young, older... And prove this plan using palm olive alone, nothing else, really works for two out of three. So for a lovelier complexion, forget all other beauty care. Instead, do as these doctors advised. Use palm olive for a fresher, brighter complexion. For loveliness all over, use big, thrifty bath-sized palm olive in your tub or shower. Mm -hmm. 
You know, folks, when I read that Snap Magazine was looking for a model teacher, I was going to write in and suggest Miss Brooks, but then the midterm exams came along and I got kind of busy and I, uh... But honest, I was going to, Miss Brooks. Thanks anyway, Walter, I think. Is her picture going to appear on the cover when the story comes out? I imagine so, Walter. Gee, that's great. It'll sure be a relief from those pictures of glamorous young girls in bathing suits with legs. <laughs> it may come as a shock to you, Walter, but I've got legs myself. You have? Yeah. Of course, they may not be as pretty as Marlena Dietrich's, but then I'm not a grandmother either. <laughs> You're not? <laughs> now, look, rancid one. Maybe we'd better change the subject. Uh, Miss Forrest, uh, Stephanie, after you get through taking pictures of Miss Brooks at school, you ought to get some at the faculty student malt hop this afternoon. Malt hop? Well, the faculty call it a tea dance, but we call it a malt hop because it's held in Weber's malt shop. Oh, sounds fascinating. Yeah, they serve a wonderful malt there. Their slogan is, our malts are too thick to sip through a straw. You have to eat it with a spoon. Some of them are even too thick to eat with a spoon. Some of them are even too thick to dance in. We've got a swell jukebox and a cute little dance floor. Uh, before we get to school, Stephanie, I'd like to ask you, would you... could you... She would and she could and she'll be there ten minutes ahead of you. Well, Miss Brooks, you sound a little put out. You weren't by any chance expecting Walter to ask you to the hop. Me? Oh, heck No. I go with a girl. <laughs> Why, Walter, I'm surprised at you. What do you think Miss Brooks is? A blackboard eraser with teeth. <laughs> Gee, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, Miss Brooks. No, you didn't, Walter. I'm used to it. I was just wondering about Harriet Conklin. Didn't you have a date with her for this afternoon? Oh, sure, but there was nothing definite about it. I merely asked her if she wanted to go to the hop, and she said yes. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know it was that tentative. <laughs> I guess you're going to the dance with Mr. Boynton, huh, Miss Brooks? Oh, did they let schnauzers in? Schnauzers? Oh, it was just a joke, Walter. I referred to Mr. Boynton as our mascot. He's really the biology teacher at Madison, Miss Forrest. And what a teacher. Boy, is he good-looking. Oh, really, Walter? Yeah, he's tall, dark, handsome. Stoop-shouldered, knock-kneed, cross-eyed. <laughs> Uh, hey, isn't this the school? Oh, yeah, I almost passed it. Yes, I was looking at somebody on my right. Well, if you'll just turn your head, Walter, you'll see Harriet approaching on your left. Good morning, Walter, Miss Brooks. Oh, I didn't know you had passengers. Oh, this is Miss Forrest and Mr. Peterson, Harriet. They're here from Snap Magazine. How do you do? Hi. If you'll excuse me, I'd uh, like to get some atmosphere shots of the campus. Oh, yes, do that, Pete. Snap has picked Miss Brooks as a model American teacher. Oh, that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. And what a coincidence. Coincidence, Harriet? Yes. When I read about it, I sat right down and wrote them a letter recommending you. Well, thank you, Harriet. But of all the silly things to do, I forgot to put a stamp on it. It just came back the other day. That's just like a child of your age, Harriet. What do you mean, child, Walter? You see, Stephanie, this is the infant I allow to toddle at my heels when I'm not involved with some more glamorous creature like yourself. Walter Denton, what's gotten into you? On this crummy morning, Walter's become a man of the world. <laughs> well, I'd better find a place to park. All those that want to better get out here, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Two little 
I'll hinder you. Well, I'll go with you, Walter, and then walk you back to school. I was hoping you would. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I don't like the way that woman looks at Walter. I don't like the way that woman looks, period. <laughs> she certainly is chic, in a cobra-like sort of way. Has she seen Mr. Boynton yet? Bite your tongue, girl. Well, I think you ought to get permission from Daddy before you go through with this interview. After all, he is Madison's principal. Harriet, you've given me an idea. I must admit I kind of liked all the attention because I thought it would make Mr. Boynton sit up and take notice. But I never stopped to think that he might sit up and notice the wrong thing. Well, maybe Daddy won't consent to the interview. Then she'll have to clear right out. Harriet, you are wise beyond your years. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to beg for your father's unpermission. I talk to you for a moment, Mr. Conklin? I'm all ears, Miss Brooks. Yes. Uh... <laughs> Mr. Conklin, Snap Magazine wants to do a layout on me as a model teacher for 1948. You, Miss Brooks? Isn't it ridiculous? They've sent a Miss Forrest and a Mr. Peterson to take pictures of me and the unpainted school and the overcrowded classrooms and the strained looks on the faces of the pupils. I can't allow that, Miss Brooks. Of course you can't. I mean, you can't? <laughs> Certainly not. It's beneath the dignity of Madison High. Way beneath, Mr. Cochran. I've always looked upon Madison High and its teachers as my family. And it's the first rule of a family that its problems be kept to itself. Strictly to itself. We should not hang out our wash for every Tom, Dick, and Harry to see. Tom, Dick, and Harry should not see our wash, no. <laughs> it won't do you any good to argue, Miss Brooks. I've made up my mind. Publicity is nothing but a cheap, parasitic device designed to prey on the unfettered appetites of the unsuspecting. Publicity oh, is... Excuse me, the sir... door was open, so... Oh, you must be Mr. Conklin. I've been looking forward to meeting you, Mr. Conklin. I'm Stephanie Forrest of Snap Magazine. Uh... <laughs> uh well, won't you sit down, Miss Forrest? Uh, I'll be with you in a moment. <clears throat> As I was saying, Miss Brooks, publicity is the foremost blessing of our century. It makes the unknown known. It brings information and joy into the home of everyone. I can just see Tom, Dick, and Harry peeking at my wash. <laughs> Miss Forrest, I was just explaining to Miss Brooks what this wonderful exploitation will mean to Madison High and its problems. Oh, I'm so glad you see it that way, Mr. Conklin. You and I will have to work together on this. I'll need your advice on... So many things. Of course, Miss Forrest. Oh. <laughs> well, let's not be so formal. You can call me Stephanie. And you can call me Osgood. <laughs> you can call me a doctor. I'm ill. <laughs> well, then it's all settled. I'll get a hold of Pete and we'll start shooting Miss Brooks at once. Fine. I'll bring my own blindfold. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Conklin, but I... Oh, I didn't know you were busy, sir. Well, I am Boynton. You'd better come back later. So you're Mr. Boynton. Well, no wonder I've heard so much about Madison's biology department. Well, uh, thank you, Miss, uh... Miss, uh... Don't look at me. I never saw her before in my life. <laughs> Miss Brooks has such a quaint sense of humor. My name is Stephanie Forrest. <laughs> 
but you can call her Miss Forrest. If you want to live to see your frogs again. What's that, Miss Brooks? Never mind, Miss Brooks, now, Boynton. What do you mean, now? Miss Brooks, will you stop mumbling? Boynton, Miss Forrest here is going to do a story on Miss Brooks for Snap magazine. Oh, really? Then they must have picked you as the model teacher. Well, that, that's wonderful, Miss Brooks. You know, I was going to write in and suggest your name myself, but well, then I got all wrapped up in my pigmentation experiments and neglected to do so. Well, it's nice to know that you thought of me. <laughs> well, now that you're here, Boynton, what is it you wanted to talk to me about? Uh, well, sir, uh, it's something I need for my guinea pigs, but uh, I'd rather talk to you when... When you're alone. Oh, come now, Mr. Boynton. You mustn't keep anything back from a reporter. What is it you need for the creatures, Boynton? I'd rather not say in mixed company, sir. Oh, come now. We're over 21. Some of us are way over. (laughs) Oh, come on, Boynton. Out with it. What do you need for those guinea pigs? Well, if you insist... uh, Hormones... Peculiar behavior. You ran right out of the room. Well, uh, I guess I'd better be running along, too, Mr. Conklin. Just a minute, Miss Forrest. Shouldn't we give the quarry a few minutes head start? Right you are. Now. Now. Boys and girls, as some of you know, I have been chosen by Snap Magazine as the model American school teacher of 1948. Thank you, thank you, boys and girls. And now I'd like you to meet Miss Forrest, Snap's layout editor. (laughs) Quiet, boys. Thank you, class. Now, before we take any pictures, Miss Brooks, would you please ask those boys standing in the back of the room to sit down? They are sitting down, Miss Forrest. They're sitting on the top of the desk. But why? Well, with the room as crowded as it is, I use them as lifeguards. Lifeguards? Yes, they keep the smaller children from being shoved into the inkwells. <laughs> Snap Magazine sits in while Miss Constance Brooks acts as faculty advisor. Philosophy Club will now come to order. Miss Brooks, I must... ...in fixing your makeup between classes. You're making yourself look like a teacher, a school teacher. Just that so many school teachers I've met bear such a marked resemblance to human beings. <laughs> well, we'll just stick a few pencils in your hair and throw a little chalk dust on your suit. There, that's better. Now, just continue as if I weren't here. That'll be a pleasure. <laughs> now, let's get on with the meeting, Walter. Yes, ma'am. Our subject is... Should a high school graduate turn to teaching as a career? But what I mean, Miss Brooks, is in the face of our inflated economy, what security is there in the teaching profession? Well, Walter, the way I figure it is this. When I first started to teach school, a dollar was worth a dollar. Last year, a dollar was worth 60 cents, and this year it's worth 40 cents. So if I were earning more, I'd be getting poorer all the time. Thus, by being a schoolteacher, I'm actually saving for a rainy day. <laughs> Snap joins Miss Brooks for lunch in the school cafeteria. 
Thanks so much for getting my lunch, Mr. Boynton. Oh, you're very welcome, Miss Brooks. Here's your change. Ah, let's see. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Swiss on rye. You're the stuffed tomato. And, uh, what am I? Now, there's an opening you could drive a truck through. <laughs> Is Pete going to take any pictures while I'm eating? In a few minutes. He's getting a bite himself right now. Oh, good. Then you'll have time to smear some mayonnaise on my nose. (laughs) Frankly, darling, I'm not terribly interested in you at the moment. Mr. Boynton, when we chased you into your laboratory before, you wouldn't tell us whom you were taking to the malt hop this afternoon. Well, I really don't know if I should leave my work, you see. Oh, there you are, Stephanie. I've been looking all over for you. You're going to the hop with me, aren't you? Well, I can't tell yet, Walter. Good afternoon, folks. Uh, Miss Forrest, as principal of Madison High, I feel that it is my very pleasant duty to invite you to the faculty student dance this afternoon. Well, really, Mr. Conklin, I don't know if I'll be finished with my... My work. That is, could I give you my answer after I've eaten? I haven't had a bit of lunch. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Forrest. I'll go get you a tray. I'll get you a knife and fork. If you just take my arm, Miss Forrest, I'll personally escort you to the steam table. <laughs> oh, no, it isn't. <laughs> Hi, Miss Brooks. Shall we have lunch together? No, thanks, Harriet. I'm quite full. I've just eaten my heart out. <laughs> I saw what happened just now. Well, it's my own fault, Harriet. My sins have come to roost. Well, what do you mean, Miss Brooks? I knew it. I just knew it. Knew what? I knew I shouldn't have sent that wire to Snap Magazine recommending me as the model teacher. (laughs) Eve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just a moment. But first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream Girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, things didn't work out quite as badly as I expected they would. Right before the dance, one of Mr. Boynton's guinea pigs had a blessed event. Triplets, in fact. And Mr. Boynton couldn't find a sitter for them anywhere. So he didn't even attend the hop. Walter Denton was kept in after school by his history teacher, and after a couple of dances with Mr. Conklin, Stephanie Forrest packed up her equipment, packed up Pete, and packed us in. Not long after that, I was sitting in the cafeteria one day when Walter rushed over all excited. Miss Brooks, it's out. Snap Magazine with a four-page spread of you as America's model teacher. Let's see that, Walter. Here, I've got it open to the story. Oh, I'll read the story later. How about the cover? Is my picture on it? Well, it says, Portrait of Model School Teacher, Miss Brooks, but 
Here, you better look for yourself. How do you like that Stephanie Forrest? A blackboard eraser with teeth. <laughs> Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Mary Jane Croft, and Jack Crucian. Dentists know what cleans teeth best. And over 4,000 dentists say Colgate Tooth Powder with a two-minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. So to remove dull film and get your teeth shining clean, just brush teeth and night with Colgate Tooth Powder. Brush inside, outside, and biting surfaces. Always brush away from the gums. See how this gets teeth naturally bright. It removes dull film that improper brushing misses. And Colgate Tooth Powder also sweetens your breath. Try it. Buy Colgate Tooth Powder today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur Park Avenue detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, where 99 million people gather every week. The Columbia Broadcasting System. The series was popular with teachers since it showed them in a positive light and gave some idea of the challenges, budgetary and otherwise, that they faced. That was Model School Teacher, our Miss Brooks, from November 21st, 1948. Was it Miss Forrest herself? or the publicity that was attracting all the attention of the men of Madison High. Maybe it was her use of luster cream shampoo. Now, another kind of mystery, a medical one, for Dr. Kildare. Next on Skywave Audio Theater. Lou Ayers starred as the war-weary Paul Bermer in the 1930 Academy Award-winning film All Quiet on the Western Front, it was an unusual film, released both as a silent film and a talking picture in those early years of talkies. In addition to winning a contract with Universal Pictures, the film also made Lou Ayers a conscientious objector. In the 1930s, he made a career of playing Dr. Kildare in films. What's wrong with Nurse Parker? Dr. Gillespie will have a lot, probably too much, to say about that in the Dr. Kildare episode at hand, but his first diagnosis will do more harm than good. This is Lou Ayers, Lionel Barrymore, and Virginia Gregg, among others, in the story of Dr. Kildare from November 24, 1950. The story of Dr. Kildare. Whatsoever house I enter, there will I go for the benefit of the sick. And whatsoever things I see or hear concerning the life of men, I will keep silence thereon, counting such things to be held in sacred trust. I will exercise my art solely for the cure of my... The story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer brought you those famous motion pictures.
Now this exciting, heartwarming series is heard on radio. In just a moment, the story of Dr. Kildare. But first, your announcer. Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Blair General Hospital, one of the great citadels of American medicine. Clump of gray-white buildings planted deep in the heart of New York, the nerve center of medical progress where great minds and skilled hands wage man's everlasting battle against death and disease. Blair General Hospital, where life begins, where life ends, where life goes on. Oh, well, good morning, Dr. Gillespie. Parker, did I or did I not have an appointment to assist the Red Cross in the opening of their new East Side Blood Donor Center? Oh, yes. Now, let me see. I have it right here. Yes. Some... Oh, yes. You're, you're due there at 10 o'clock Wednesday. Yes. Oh, good heavens. Exactly. 10 o'clock yesterday morning. It just happened to slip my mind. I can explain the whole thing. You idiot. With accident victims dying every day because of the shortage of blood for transfusions, you forget what day it is. It could happen to anybody, Dr. Gillespie. I've just been so busy that With I have the Red to... Cross trying every way it can to get private citizens to donate blood, you can't bother to remember what day the center opened. Well, when you come right down to it, I imagine they got it opened all right without you. No, that's quite beside the point. At the moment, I am dealing with the fact that you are an incompetent... What? Scatterbrain, unornamental, and utterly useless nincompoop. Well, now give me my hat. Here, take it. I've got to go over there and apologize for a fault that wasn't even mine. Because I can't tell them that my dull-witted nurse is simply not interested in their efforts. I'd like you to know that I have an appointment over there Saturday myself to donate a pint of blood, so there. Parker, I wish you'd donate ten pints. And I'd like to replace them with a transfusion of boiling oil. Hey, what's going on here? Oh, oh, good morning, Jimmy. Good morning. See you later. Goodbye. Good morning. See you later. Goodbye. Where's he going? You're fired? Oh, I don't care where he's going, Dr. Kildare. Now, what's the I've matter? given the best years of my life to that man. I've worked and slaved for him. And does he care? Oh, of course he does. Of course he doesn't. He's mean and nasty and insulting. I know. And I've stood it as long as I can. Oh, you know he doesn't mean half of what he says. When he's talking to me, he does. And anybody could make a little mistake like that. Like what? He hates me, Dr. Kildare. And he always has. Oh, no, he doesn't. Now, you know that isn't true. What? And another thing, Parker. I think your mind is slipping. You ought to do something about it. Shock treatments or occupational therapy. Oh! Goodbye. You see what I mean? I've never been so insulted now, in my life. Now, wait a second. Wait Why, a second. That... You know, he may have something there. Dr. 
Julia. No, I don't mean that your mind is slipping, but the, the occupational therapy part, a, a hobby, in other words, might be a good idea. After all, you give too much of your life to this hospital and to Dr. Gillespie. Well, I only try to do my duty. You need an outside interest. Anybody would, working around him all the time. Well, I did used to enjoy corresponding with Lonely Hearts Club. Mm, that's good. Uh, maybe there's some field of art or music. And I've always wanted to take up folk dancing. Folk dancing, huh? Mm. Of course, I have heard that bird watching is nice. Well, there's no doubt of that. Highly entertaining. I really think the Lonely Hearts Clubs are the most fun, though. Yes, I imagine. Well, I guess hobbies are always a matter of personal preference. Just don't be hasty, Parker. Just think it over. Of course, I've had these pains, this enteritis, as you call it, for years, Dr. Kildare. Doubles me up sometimes... But lately, they've got really bad. Uh, that's why I decided to enter the hospital for an examination. I see. Well, in a few days, we ought to have a good idea of what's wrong with you, Mr. Kramer. What's his temperature, Miss Vernon? 98.1. And I seem to have lost my appetite, too. Last couple of months, I haven't eaten one square meal a day. No uh, wonder you have a slight anemia along with the other symptoms. I think that's all for now, Miss Vernon, if you want to straighten up the examination card. All right, Doctor. Mr. Kramer, we'll make some lab tests today and tomorrow and possibly run a fluoroscope... Meanwhile, you just stay there in bed and take care of yourself. Yes, Doctor. You ready, Miss Vernon? Yes, Doctor. See you later this afternoon, Mr. Kramer. Bye. What do you think, Jimmy? Chronic enteritis? Mm, on the face of it, yes, but there are some odd angles. Subnormal temperature, anemia. I don't know. Malignancy? Could be. And yet... Here, let me help you with that cart. Oh, no, the elevator's right here. I'm going down to the supply room. Oh, stopped at the 10th floor. Guess we wait. Good. Gives me two minutes more to talk to you. You mean alone at last? <laughs> if you call a hospital corridor being alone. Say, the, the 10th floor reminds me. Do you have any idea what Parker's doing up there? Doing? Uh -huh. No, what do you mean? Well, she took over one of the empty storerooms about a week ago, put a lock in the door and won't let a soul in. Uh -huh. Spends all of her spare time, lunch hour and everything, locked inside. <laughs> she had one of her usual run-ins with Dr. Gillespie last week. I suggested she take up a hobby. Well, what kind of a hobby involves locking yourself in a storeroom? <laughs> I don't know. She mentioned bird-watching. Maybe she looks out the window at the pigeons. That I can almost buy. <laughs> then, too, she mentioned lonely hearts clubs. No. No, I don't think You've so. You've got me, baby. I'll ask Dr. Gillespie if it'll make you feel any better. No, confounded Jimmy. I wish I did know. He's up to something all right, but I can't find out what it is. But you have been trying. Well, you? naturally. I'm concerned with the activities of my assistants and feel responsible for them. To be sure. But I can't find out a thing. Uh... Tried asking her? Certainly not. That's precisely what she wants. And just how have you gone about it? Ooh, various methods. Mm -hmm. Somewhat unorthodox, perhaps, but... But never... ethical and honorable? Oh, Jimmy, now, how could you ask? I've seen you in action before. Necessity supersedes all ethics. And curiosity does, too. Is that it? Well, confounded, she comes in here with packages and bundles all wrapped up and then hides them up there in that storeroom. Well, who wouldn't be curious? I still think you ought to try asking her. I couldn't ask her if I wanted to. All right, then. How about taking a look at this case report on a patient of mine? All right, let's see it. Oh, it's Kramer, huh? 
I've already seen it, Jimmy. It was a case of chronic enteritis, no doubt about it. But what about these symptoms I've underlined? They don't fit. Psychosomatic complications, that's all. He's had the same trouble for years. Not uh, quite the same. Some of these symptoms only started a couple of months ago. Now you're on that hobby of yours. Obscure symptoms, things other doctors overlook. Come in, come in. Miss Parker. Inasmuch as you're employed in this office, knocking before you enter is quite unnecessary. I prefer it that way, Dr. Gillespie. Yeah. The keys you ordered were just delivered. Here they are. Keys? Why, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You huh? know very well what I'm talking about. You had them made from a wax impression of my storeroom key. Ah, ridiculous. It certainly is. Because I put a new lock on the door last night. Are you actually implying that I might go snooping up there behind your back? I am. By the great horn spoon. I wish you'd find some new expression, Dr. Gillespie. That one gets so monotonous. Parker. You're dealing with a new woman, you know. It's my hobby that did it. And you, Dr. Kildare, you're responsible. I am? That's why I want you to be here, too. When I reveal it to Dr. Gillespie in the morning. Reveal what? My hobby. You will be here, Dr. Kildare. Uh, oh, yes, Parker. Thank you very much. Uh, After all, I've got to know what it is that I'm responsible for. Ten o'clock. Confounded. She said ten o'clock. Why isn't she here? Relax, relax. She'll be here. She's due any minute, Dr. Gillespie. She had to wait for the freight elevator, so I came on ahead. Come in. Good morning, Ralph. Well, Miss Parker, I'm glad you... What's the hammer for? Hey, now, wait. Oh, don't be silly, Dr. Gillespie. I'm just going to drive a nail in the wall. Here, in front of your desk. There. Well, by the... Don't you dare say by the great orange spoon. Tarnation. Wait just a second now, everybody. I have it right outside the door. Better brace yourself, Jimmy. I've been braced since yesterday. Now, don't anybody look till I get it hung up. supposed to be regarded as a painting? Why, of course. <laughs> you see, it's my impression of an operation. This blob down here is a kidney. Ooh. And these are scalpels. Mm. And this is an ether mask. It's all sort of modern. Modern, yes, yes, to be sure. Yes, yes. And uh, is it your intention to hang this painting here in my office? Oh, yes. Yes, I did it for you. And I'm expected to sit here and face it seven days a week, week after week? Yeah, I guess that's right. Do you really like it? Like it? Parker, I have never before seen a more hideous monstrosity in my whole life. Dr. Gillespie. I have never before realized the full extent of your hatred for me. To do a thing like this. It goes. It's got to go. Oh! Well, I... I guess I'd better get back to work. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go with you. Now, wait a minute, you two. Yes? Well, what are you looking at me like that for? I didn't, um, didn't mean... Well, confound it, it's not my fault. <laughs> Thank you. 
Dr. Gillespie. Dr. Gillespie, are you awake? It's Kildare. Come on, open up. If you wake me up in the middle of the night merely to continue the discussion of my crude and unpleasant disposition, then to help me... Now, wait a minute, to... wait a minute. It's nothing like that. It's ah, just... I've talked to Parker that way for years. And if she suddenly decided to get injured feelings over it, well, it's not my fault. Not your fault. And I absolutely refuse to go the rest of the night lying here awake and feeling like a heel. So that's what you've been doing. I have not. A guilty conscience. Ah, poppycock. You're not concerned about her at all, I suppose. Not even slightly. Uh, then I guess I'd better go on over by myself. Over where? Nurse's dormitory. Diana just phoned and said Parker's been taken suddenly ill. Oh. Sounds fairly serious. Oh, well, wait a minute, Jimmy. Wait till I get my pants. All right, but hurry up, you heel. We return to the story of Dr. Kildare in just a moment. Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Oh, oh now, take it easy, Parker. It's going to be oh. all right. Parker, how long has it been since these abdominal pains oh, started? Oh, I don't know. Must have been nearly an hour, Jimmy. She held up for quite a while before she called me. Hmm, transverse muscles of the abdomen as hard as a rock. Oh! I've got some balergial here in the kit. might help. I'll get it. What do you think is wrong with me? It's a little hard to tell just yet. Oh, you're just being kind. You don't want me to know. Confound it, Parker. I've uh, warned you for years to stop eating uh, marinated herring and Boston cream pie before you go to bed. Oh, it's not indigestion. I know it's not. It's something worse. Well, whatever it is, we'll find out and take care uh, of it, so don't worry. Oh, Diana, will you call Wayman and have him bring a stretch? Oh, all right, Jimmy. Well, I suppose we may as well go over. All right. Dr. Gillespie, can I ask just one favor? Well, oh, I guess so. What is it? If I... Yes, 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 yes. If I don't pull through, can the painting stay? Oh, Parker, you're not going to die of a bellyache. But if I do, will you keep it? To remember me by. Oh, well, I, I, yes, confound it. I look at it all day and keep it in my room all night. I, I love you. Come on, Jimmy. Okay. <laughs> She's faking it. 
including abdominal spasms, cramps in the legs, peripheral neuritis. And it's nothing but a simple case of acute indigestion. You know better than that. Are you by any chance implying that this whole thing is my fault? A nervous reaction caused by your brutality, Doctor? Yeah. No, I don't think so. That's only your guilty conscience implying. Yeah. Mm, there's something vaguely familiar about those symptoms of hers. This is no time for a hobby. I think maybe it is. Look, why don't you take over for a half hour? I, I want to do some quick reading. Reading about what? Symptoms. Well, I hope you come up with something. We can't have anything happen to her, you know. Softening up a little, eh? Well, I've always been fond of Parker. Uh -huh. yeah, but also, I'm thinking of the promise I made about that painting. <laughs> How's my pulse now, Dr. Gillespie? Weaker? That is not weaker. It's exactly the same. And furthermore, those cramped muscles have loosened up a little. That's only because I'm drugged. Parker, you are not drugged. Are you so kind, Dr. Gillespie? Kind. Trying to keep it from me, this way. Oh, Jimmy. Well, it's about time. How are you feeling, Parker? Calm and peaceful, Dr. Kildare. It's the law before the end. Oh, tarnation. Well, before you cross the bar, suppose we have a little talk about painting. Yes. I might have been a great artist had I lived. Mm -hmm. And now, as I understand it, you've been working on this painting during your lunch hours. Is that right? And breakfast and dinner, too. Oh, I got so caught up in it. And then you've been painting and eating at the same time. Oh, yes, huh? yes. And last night, when I was hurrying to finish... I kept dipping my brush and my coffee cup, and everything was so confused. That's it. I had paint all over everything. Well, I guess that's enough for a diagnosis. Diagnosis? Look. Diana, will you go down to the dispensary and get a gram bottle of sodium sulfate and one of potassium iodine? Right, Jimmy. Lead poisoning. That's right. Lead poisoning who? You. Hmm? You get a mild case of lead poisoning from those oil paints. But you'll be all right in a day or two. Lead poisoning. And something else, Dr. Gillespie. I think this gives us a tip on that Kramer case. Well, by the... By the... You want to say it, Dr. Gillespie. Yes. Then go ahead. Say it. By the great horn spoon. <laughs> Why, yes, Dr. Kildare, I have noticed peculiar cramps in my legs during the last two months, but I assumed it was just a new pain from the same old trouble. Mr. Kramer, did you change occupations by any chance a couple of months ago? Hmm? Take up a new hobby or anything of that sort? Why, no, the only new thing I did two months ago was to install a processing furnace to treat floor sweepings. Oh? Yes, from the different jewelry plants around the city. There's always a lot of gold and silver filings in the stuff, but still not enough to pay the individual plant to process its own. Uh, just what is this process, Mr. Kramer? I mean, how do you go about recovering the metal? Well, I burn the sweepings first to get rid of the combustible stuff, mm. and then I, I mix the ashes with litharge and charge it in... Litharge? Red lead oxide? That's right. The melted lead picks up the filings and it dissolves them. All right, Jimmy. You win. Mm-hmm. Chronic lead poisoning. 
You mean that's what's the matter with me? That's right, Mr. Kramer. The symptoms were hidden by this long-standing enteritis of yours, and that's your trouble. There's no doubt of it. Well, can you cure it? Yes, we can take care of the poisoning by a few days' treatment with sodium sulfate and potassium iodide. And then I think we can break down that enteritis. All of which leads us to one conclusion, Mr. Kramer. Uh, what conclusion, Dr. Gillespie? That you and I ought to take up a hobby. Hmm. Morning, Dr. Gillespie. Uh, oh, 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 come in here. Come in, Nicholas. Any uh, new case of lead poisoning this morning? All right, all right. Rub it in. I got it coming to me. <laughs> should have recognized those symptoms right away. Both of us should have, so I guess we're even. How's Parker? I don't know. I haven't been up to see her yet this morning. Yeah, probably just couldn't tear yourself away from contemplating that little token of her affection. Ah, Jimmy, if I have to sit here and look at that confounded painting one more day, I'll have lead poisoning. Now, that's a fine attitude when she risked her life to paint it for you. She could have died, you know. All right. I have treated her with a certain lack of consideration in the past. That's an understatement. And I felt guilty thinking about it the last couple of days. So? So I'm going to change all that when she comes back to work. I'm mm -hmm. going to be kind to her, courteous, friendly, and considerate. Dr. G of the Beaver Patrol. Yes. Good morning, Dr. Gillespie. Parker. Dr. Kildare. Why, Parker? You shouldn't be out of bed this soon. I didn't expect you back before the end of the week. Well, that's awfully kind of you, Dr. Gillespie. But duty calls, you know. Ah, oh, nonsense. There's no duty as important as your health and well-being. Oh, you're so considerate. Isn't that the truth, Parker? I've often noticed it myself. Jimmy. Sometimes when I've said things to you that I didn't mean... Well, I could just bite my tongue off. I know exactly how you feel, Parker. I've done it, too. And it... To one of the most competent, charming, and intelligent women I've ever known. Thank you, Dr. Gillespie. Would anyone mind if I opened a window? And Parker, I insist that you go back to bed and take care of yourself. Well, I still feel a little shaky. So if you really do insist... I do, I do. All right, then. And I'll arrange to have the painting taken out this afternoon sometime. Well, I know you don't like it. Oh, no, no, Parker. Why, I think it's, it's a most amazing piece of work. Marvelous technique, de delicate sensitivity. Oh, Dr. Gillespie. Are you sure you're not just saying that? Ah, of course I'm sure. Personally, I love it. I'd hate to see it go, but... Then it doesn't go. Huh? Since you like it that much, it stays no matter what anybody says. Yes, but... Are but... you with us, Dr. Kildare? With you. I'm way ahead of you, Parker. We'll all stick together like the three musketeers. No, no. wait uh, When a man loves a work of art as much as Dr. Gillespie loves that painting, why, it would be criminal to tear it away from him. Kildare! In fact, Parker, you might paint another one for the wall what? opposite there. Jimmy! I've even got an impressionistic title for it. Oh, good. What is it, Dr. Kildare? Well, it's uh, By the Great Horn Spoon. In just a moment, we will return to the story of Dr. Kildare.
And now, once again, the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Wait a second, Dr. Gillespie. Are you trying to tell me that she still hasn't said a word about it? That's right, Jimmy. He hasn't mentioned it once. And it's been four days now. Oh, that's amazing. Unless, of course, she had the painting taken down herself. Well, it could be, but I'm not going to ask her. Just let well enough alone. That blank wall never looks so good. Oh, I don't know. I was getting used to it. Scarcely noticed it anymore. Well, I noticed it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get used to that nightmare of variegated delirium tremens in 50 years. <laughs> it looked like a busted tamale. <laughs> All I hope is that it ended up in the incinerator. Come in. Good morning, gentlemen. My name is Cuttlepots. Cuddlepots. Parker's art teacher. I'm looking for Evangeline Parker, and someone said she just might be here. Well, she's working on some reports down in the next office. If there's something we could... Well, it's just that I've got some excruciatingly good news for her. Of course, you knew her painting, The Operation, was entered in the annual competition of the Brooklyn Heights Institute of Advanced Art and Culture. No. I didn't even know they had an institute, but you... Wait a minute now. Don't... It uh, won first prize in the primitive division. By the great horn spoon. <sighs> Why don't you take up a hobby, Dr. Gillespie? I am, Jimmy. I am. So help me heaven, next week I'm starting in on folk dancing. You have just heard the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. This program was written by Les Crutchfield and directed by William P. Russo. Original music was composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. Supporting cast included Virginia Gregg, Georgia Ellis, and Ben Wright. Dick Joy speaking. wouldn't play well in most workplaces today, but in 1950, Dr. Gillespie's haranguing of Nurse Parker did make for a memorable character contrast. And of course, by then, Lionel Barrymore had made a niche for himself playing irascible characters. In December, we'll hear him again as Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. And you may have recognized Georgia Ellis as Diana, the love interest of Dr. Kildare after hearing her just an hour ago as Miss Kitty in Gunsmoke. And the versatile Ben Wright, later to play Hey Boy in Have Gun, Will Travel, was Mr. Kramer. And now we're going to open the casebook of Gregory Hood here on Skywave Audio Theater. Before he played Mr. Conklin to Eve Arden's Armis Brooks, Gail Gordon was Gregory Hood, and picking up the role after Gordon was Elliot Lewis as Gregory Hood, an importer in San Francisco who deals in rare items. And he and his assistant, Sanderson Taylor, roam the world looking for artifacts for his import house. And those items have a way of linking to a person in some kind of a mystery at hand. With Elliot Lewis, this is the casebook of Gregory Hood, 
in The White Masters from November 25th, 1946. <laughs> The Petri family. The family that took time to bring you good wine. Presents the casebook of Gregory Hood. Tonight, Petri Wine presents the story of the White Masters. Another exciting adventure from the casebook of Gregory Hood. And say, when your guests arrive Thursday for a big Thanksgiving dinner, why not greet them royally with a glass of Petri California Port? Port is America's favorite wine, you know, so it's the perfect wine to express your hospitality and friendship. And believe me, when it comes to real enjoyment, there's no port like Petri Port. It has a beautiful, deep, ruby red color. And the flavor, hmm, it's absolutely delicious. Petri Port has such a marvelous, rich, fruity taste. It's no wonder everyone loves it. Believe me, a glass of Petri Port is real proof that the Petri family took time to bring you good wine. So have plenty of Petri Port on hand for your big day Thursday. And be sure it's Petri Port, because all Petri wines are good wines. Well, once again, it's Monday night in San Francisco, and time for our weekly visit with Gregory Hood and his friend and attorney, Sanderson Taylor. Tonight's adventure out of the casebook begins in a small but select bar on Gary Street. The lights are discreetly low, the furnishings tasteful, and in the background, the jukebox plays an appropriate accompaniment. Just the sort of place we'd expect to find Greg and Sandy five o'clock after a day's work. And that's precisely where we do find them. Oh, say, Greg, I meant to tell you, I've run into uh, some more legal snags with that contract from Hong Kong. You have to bet. Oh, Greg, you weren't even listening to me. Well, frankly, I was under the spell of that record of Art Tatum's. That left hand of his is magic. Listen to that. Oh, yes, I'm sure it's, uh, whatever you say it is. Just the same, Greg, I'd like to talk to you about the Hong Kong deal. Now, Hood and Company has a lot of money at stake Well, I find it hard to concentrate on the niceties of legal problems while Mr. Tatum's beating his way out of this one. Ah, he made it. Yeah. Okay, Sandy, the floor is yours, but go easy with the heretofores and whereas. Well, Greg, now here's the situation. Chong Lee, our representative in Hong Kong, has worked out an exclusive deal with the importing house of Sulai. Sulai? Uh-huh. Done a lot of business with them in the past. What's souring this deal? Well, it's the problem of exchange, Greg. They want us to post dollars there pegged at a fixed exchange. Pegging the exchange? I don't buy that. Well, nor do I. I maintain that we do business we did in the past. Lading bills with shipments payable in 60 days at current rate of exchange. Now, here's another angle, I'd Greg. rather talk of uh, curves. Look at this apparition that just came in. Huh? Oh, Greg, can't I keep your mind on business for two consecutive minutes? Uh, oh, see, she's coming to your table. Mm -hmm. Good evening. Mr. Gregory Hood? Yes. And this is Sanderson Taylor. Do sit down, won't you, Miss... The Miss... Uh... My name is Lisa Duncan. Oh, well, uh, how are you, Miss? How Duncan? do you do? Won't you sit down and have a drink with us? They have a wonderful sherry here. No, thank you. I can only stay for a moment. I've brought you a message. Well, I couldn't be happier, though. I don't know how you found me. Well, that was simple. I went to your office, and they told me you'd come here. Well, how'd you recognize me, then? We've never met before. It's my business to know certain people. 
Oh, well, this all sounds very uh, mysterious, Miss Duncan. And rather exciting, though I'm not quite sure which particular category of certain people I fall into. Uh, what's the message? Meet me at the fourth girder from the middle on Golden Gate Bridge at midnight and the jewels are mine? I'm serious. What's the message? I bring you the message of the White Masters, Mr. Hood. Perhaps the message has already reached you. Have you heard the call to a full new life? No, but it sounds like fun. The old life was getting a little dull around the edges, and with you as a tutor... Don't I... make fun of me. This is the most important message of your life. The White Masters wish you to read this. I'll see you again, Mr. Hood. Miss Duncan, wait a minute. Oh, let her go, Greg, let her go. She's crazy. Maybe. But beautiful crazy. Uh, walking in here, handing you a tract, and then waltzing out again. Hmm. Well, let's see what her little handbill says. Uh, let's see what it does. The League of White Masters. Stephen Satherwaite to speak tonight at the Golden Bay Auditorium. Come and learn your potential power. Oh, the propaganda line has a familiar ring. Want to go to that meeting tonight, Sandy? Well, why, Gray? Just to track down your track-leaving goddess? How oh, much more than that. The name Satherwaite rings a bell somewhere. Mm -hmm. I have a hunch the white masters aren't as spotless as they sound. Make a deal with you, Sandy. Okay, what is it? I'll buy another drink for you and listen to your headaches on the Hong Kong deal if after that... I know, Greg. After that, we go to the Golden Bay Auditorium in search of the uh, full new life. <laughs> of all these people. Gives me the creeps. And I somehow keep feeling as though I'd seen them before. You have. Remember in Berlin before the war? Yeah. Remember that rally at the Sports Palace? The Nazis. They're the same people. Same ones you see in this country at the rallies of homegrown fascism. The small ones. The worn outs. The failures who need someone to blame their failure on. Yeah. The lunatic fringe. Well, that's all we thought the Nazis once were. It's nauseating, Gray. Yeah. That constant and ringing repetition of the word white. It sounds noble and harmless, but the implication is dangerous. Mm. Free speech. Yet if anyone had got up and thrown a few questions back at him... Sure, they... sure. The goon squad would have beaten him up and thrown him out of here in no time. Well, you can see the strong-armed boys lined around the walls here, watching every exit and entrance. The one ahead of us is a prize specimen. Shickle Gruber should have lived to see this. What's the matter, buddy? Didn't you like it? No, buddy, I didn't. You want to make something out of it? No, not this time. Just wanted to remember your face. That's all, buddy. Take a good look. You'll see it again. Sure. Too bad if someone was to push it around a little. Yeah. Nice guy. Oh, say, look, Ray. There's the girl we saw in the bar this evening. Yes. The call to the full new life swastikas with lace trimming. Good evening, Miss Duncan. Mr. Hood, I'm so glad you came. But why are you leaving now? The meeting's not half over. 
It's over, as far as we're concerned. You don't agree with our belief? That's a monumental understatement. I'm very happy I came, my fair white messenger. You've given me a job to do. You're unusually silent, Sandy. Oh, I was thinking about that meeting tonight, Greg, and getting madder and madder. So was I. Why are we going to Berkeley? We're going to see a friend of mine who knows plenty about homegrown rackets such as the White Masters. Huh? Who is your friend? Professor Gordon Lewis, late of Benton University. Professor Lewis? Oh, yes, I read about him. Uh, wasn't he fired recently? Yeah, after some rather dubious maneuverings of campus politics, I'm told. Just the same, Professor Lewis is a great scholar. Knows everything about cults from Dambala, the god of voodoo, to Shambhala, the hidden retreat in Tibet, which some people call Shangri-La. But surely Satherwaite's speech tonight wasn't as profound as all that. No, but the basic roots that motivated are plenty old. I'll bet you that when I tell Professor Lewis the gist of tonight's little spiel, he'll be able to analyze it for us, show us its true origin, perhaps give us a clue to Mr. Satherwaite. If we can get at his roots, maybe we can chop him down. <laughs> That's why we've come to you, Professor Lewis. Well, gentlemen, I shall do everything in my power to help you. Well, Greg tells me you know more about these things than any other man in the country. Mr. Hood is kind. More so than some I could name. All of my life I've devoted to this study. And now at my age, to be a man without a profession, without even a job. But how can I help you, gentlemen? Well, you see, sir, it seemed to me that behind those cleverly phrased jingos Satterwaite was echoing tonight lies a pattern. A philosophy developed from some earlier cult that's proved successful. You're right, Mr. Hood, and I've studied them all. I've investigated every odd cult that I've come in touch with, and joined most of them, under assumed names, of course. Mm -hmm, I see, to uh, study their inner workings, I suppose, Professor? Yes, Mr. Taylor, and I've, uh, I've taken a certain perverse pleasure when joining a new cult by adopting the name of a god that had been prominently mentioned in some other cult. Uh, long since disbanded. What do you think about the slant of Satterwaite and his white master's dogma? I think you were quite right in your own analysis, my boy. Its obvious trend is uh, antisocial. Uh -huh. And you think it's more than uh, an organized rat? Much more, Mr. Taylor. As to its elements, the concept of divine figures acting through human agents, oh, of course, that's an old theory. Satterwaite sounds as if he's tied in not only with several occult systems of belief, but also several... Far from occult thinkers who know the, the valuable powers of uh, superstition. They trade on it for their own ends. I'll check on the facts that you've given me more in detail. Well, then you think you can find out what forces are back of this deal, Professor? I think so. From the facts that you've given me, it shouldn't be hard to find out just who's behind this movement. Within 24 hours, I'll draw you a diagram through which you ought to be able to trace Satherwaite right back to his slimy origin. <laughs> Mr. Hood. Thanks, driver. Been keeping you busy tonight? Yeah, quite in the morgue. <laughs> Just about as cold. Here you are. You can keep the change. Gee, thanks, Mr. Hood. Good night now. Night. <whistles> Who's that by the railing? It's me. Lisa Duncan. 
Another message from your white masters? I didn't know they delivered this late at night. Remarkable service. Mr. Hood, you don't understand. I... Hey, what's wrong with you? My shoulder. I'm wounded. Somebody shot it. Well, give me your arm. That's it. I'll get you upstairs and into my apartment. I... I came to see you Save it, Miss Duncan. I'll get a doctor. You can tell me the story upstairs. Ah, here we are. Hold on a minute. I'll get my key. Be careful, Mr. Hood. In you come. That's it. I'll switch on a light. It's my man's night off. There we are. Now, I'll get to the phone. Gregory, behind those curtains. Welcoming committee of three, huh? Lisa, get help. All right, I will. Shall I get the girl? Never mind. Let him have it. No, you don't. All right, try this one on. Grab his arms, Len. I got him. Get on your feet again, sir, and help Len. That's right. Three white supermen, huh? Good, I told you at the meeting tonight that you might get that pretty puss of yours worked over a little. I'll zap for a start. Very courageous with two of your goons holding me. Shut up, do you hear? You lousy little... It ain't polite to answer back, buddy. Take the blackjack to him, Joe. Let's really work on him. Yeah, give it to me. Let's see if we can beat a little sense in you, dirty no. Now, let's see how smart Alec you can get, Mr. Hood. Come on, guys, let's get out of here. Greg Hood. Better get over to my apartment. Right away. We'll continue with Gregory Hood's story in just a moment. Meanwhile, I want to remind you again of that big feast day coming up Thursday. And you know what would make a swell dessert? Fruitcake with Petri California Port. Honestly, they're wonderful together. Fruitcake is traditional for Thanksgiving, of course. And Petri Port makes a wonderful companion for fruitcake. It's such a beautiful wine, a deep ruby red in color. And Petri Port has a marvelous, rich, full-bodied flavor that goes perfectly with fruitcake. Honestly, Petri Port is one of the most delicious wines ever poured from a bottle. Your guests will love it. And you can serve Petri Port proudly. Because those five letters, P-E-T-R-I, spell the proudest name in the long history of fine wines, Petri. And now back to the case book of Gregory Hood and the adventure of the White Masters. Two hours have passed and a doctor has visited Greg's apartment and treated both Greg and Lisa. As we rejoin our story, Sandy Taylor, hastily summoned from his home in Berkeley, is talking to the girl Lisa and a much battered Gregory Hood. How are you feeling now, Greg? Awful. How about you, Lisa? No, I'm all right, Gregory. Gee, it's a lucky thing you ran for the cops, Miss Duncan. They picked up one of the men anyway. They're holding him in the next room here. Want to talk to him, Greg? You're darn right I do. First of all, I want to straighten out a few things about you, Lisa. If you're a white master, why did you get shot at? Why did you bother to go for the police? It's very simple, Gregory. 
I've been investigating the organization, working on the inside. Don't tell me you're a G. No. My interest in these people is purely private and personal. Oh? Huh? You see, eight years ago, my father was beaten to death by a mob of hoodlums at a meeting just like the one you attended tonight. I'm sorry, Lisa. Oh, and so you approached Greg tonight in the hopes of uh, intriguing his well-known curiosity? Yes, I did. I wasn't getting far enough in my own investigation, so I decided to approach him. Oh. Then they shot at you, Miss Duncan, because they must have figured you were on the wrong side of the fence. Yes. Huh? They must have followed me here from the meeting tonight, saw that I was going to Gregory's and tried to silence me. Well, now that we know we're on the same side, let's have our brave friend in. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll get him, Greg. Incidentally, Lisa, we went over to Berkeley tonight and saw Professor Lewis. Professor Lewis? I think I've heard of him. He's helping us put the finger on Mr. Satterwhite in his crown. Can you come in now, officer? Okay, Mr. Taylor. Go on in, Lem, but no tricks. Uh, how can I pull anything when you've got the bracelets on me? We're watching. Come on, Lem. Here he is, Greg. I didn't do nothing. Let me alone. Listen, Lem, you've done plenty. I only wish I felt up to seeing how you'd like to take some of the medicine you boys dish out to me a little early. I didn't slug you. How was Joe? Look, Lem, uh, I'm an attorney. They'll book you on a stiff battery charge. But look, mister, I... I was just doing what I was told. I ain't one of the big boys. Listen, my friend can probably get you off with a nominal sentence if you want to play ball, Lem. I might even decide not to prefer charges if you'll open that big mouth of yours and do a little talking. Yeah? What's in it for me? We might persuade the police to give you a break. But if you don't talk, we could make out a sweet case of assault with intent to kill. And that means San Quentin, and uh, not for any one-night stand. Okay, I'll talk. What do you want to know? Who are the big shots back of this racket of yours? Well, Mr. Satterwhite's the only one I know. But there are some other big guys in town right now. They're holding a meeting tomorrow night. Where will they hold the meeting? At their hideout. It's in a flea dump hotel on Turk Street. And the big shots are meeting there tomorrow night, you say, Lem? Yeah. Well, that's what Joe was telling me. I'm not in very good shape to do much clear thinking, Sandy, but one thing I do know. We've got to organize some way of listening in on that meeting tomorrow night. Well, you feeling better this morning, Greg? Sure, but that was only logical. I couldn't be feeling worse than I did last night. Uh -huh. Have you checked with Miss Duncan? Yes, I called her just before I came down here. She's doing fine, just raring to listen in on that meeting tonight. How are the plans coming? Oh, fine, fine. <clears throat> Though it cost a small part of the hood fortune to fix it. I bribed the hotel man. We've got the room next to the one the crowd have been using. Dictaphone equipment being installed? Mm-hmm. We're all set tonight to listen in on the meeting and get a complete record of their discussions. That'll make pretty reading for the authorities. Hello? Gregory Hood? This is Professor Lewis. Hello there. How are you coming with your investigations? I think I have some interesting data for you. Perhaps we could meet tonight and uh, discuss the matter. I'd like to, but it'll have to be this side of the bay. We're eavesdropping on Satterwhite's inner council meeting tonight. Join us for dinner. We'll tell you all about it. And there, gentlemen, you have the program of the White Masters for the next six months. Oh, Horrible. Even worse than I imagined. Yes. Those carefully worked out plans for inciting race riots in West Oakland. Why, uh, that's potential murder. It'll be prevented as soon as we turn these dictaphone records over to the authorities. I'm getting darn worried about Professor Lewis. Yes, so am I. He didn't show up for dinner, and we called him twice from here and got no answer. Did you suppose the goon squad had gone after him? Could be. They went after Lisa and me. They could easily have found out that the professor was in with us, too. Yeah. Wait a minute. I think the meeting is broken up next door. I can't hear any voices. Perhaps we should go and search their room. Mm, I doubt if we'd find anything except a strong smell of skunk. Well, what are you waiting for? 
Wait a minute. They haven't all gone. What did you think? It's Satherwaite. You haven't said a word all evening, but what's the matter with you? Put up that gun. You don't think you can get control of this organization that way, but put it down! Come on, Sandy. Yeah. Satherwaite's dying. And his murderer got away, but we'll get him. Satherwaite, I'm not saying you didn't get what you had coming to you, but tell us who did it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. He's trying to talk. Who shot you? Ermin. Shot. He's dead, Greg. With poetic words on his lips yet. Words that sounded like Ermin's soul. Well, at least the... Right guy got murdered. I'm not sure. This was murder for power, for the right to run this filthy organization. The killer's more evil even than Satterwaite was. Sandy, I want you to call Lieutenant Silvers. Lisa and I will make a fast trip across the bay to Berkeley. Oh, you're going to call on uh, Professor Lewis? You bet we are. I hope we're not too late. Oh, I'm glad you came over here, Mr. Hood. And you, Miss Duncan. I wish we'd arrived in time to prevent the attack on you, Professor. You say they attacked you as you were getting into your car. Yes. It's dark in the garage. I, I didn't see who it was. I felt this blow on the back of my head. And the next thing I knew, I was lying beside the car. I managed to crawl into the house and telephone for a doctor. And he came and bandaged me up. Oh, but don't worry about me. Tell me more about the meeting. Uh, Satherwaite is dead, you say? Yes. But just as he died, he muttered the words, Ermin soul. I'm glad that he died. But his killer is still at large, Professor. But not for long. When your dictaphone records are turned in, the whole organization will be exploded, and uh, we'll be safe from these attacks. Those dying words puzzle me. Tell me, can you think of anyone mixed up in these rackets who might be described as having an ermine soul? Hmm. Sounds inappropriate, doesn't it? Ermine soul. Hmm. Wait a minute. Uh, I know the man you want. Huh? Yes, he's been mixed up in several of these uh, subversive groups. His name's Irving Stoll. Irving Stoll, Ermin Stoll. Yes, Gregory, that might be the answer. We can put the authorities on his track and they'll locate him in no time. Wait a minute. Why didn't I spot it before? That cloud on the head last night must have been stronger than I thought. What are you talking about, Gregory? Professor Lewis, it's suddenly all very clear to me. Miss Duncan brought me into this case and she was attacked. I went into it and I was attacked. I brought you in or you've been attacked. But there were only four people who knew what our plans were before the attacks. Sandy, Lisa, you, and me. Surely you're not suggesting of that Of course I... not, Lisa. What do you say, Professor? But obviously, the White Masters have more efficient spies than we imagined. A reasonably convincing answer, Professor. If I hadn't just spotted that book on druidism on your shelf. You're being very cryptic, Hood. How does a book on druids enter this discussion? Oh, it reminded me that there's an old druid god by the name of Ermansoul. I-R-M-I-N-S-U-L. That sounds exactly like Ermansoul. And if you remember, Professor, you told Mr. Taylor and me when we called on you yesterday that it amused you to join new cults under the name of a deity. Oh, you can't possibly be suggesting... I'm suggesting that... that you join the White Masters with the intention of studying it from the inside. Then, when you were fired from the university, you became bitter. You became violently antisocial. Oh, you're talking rubbish. Am I? You needed money, too, and you knew how profitable those rackets are. And who knew better than you the inner workings of them? You tried to get rid of us as soon as you knew we were working against you. And then you killed Satherwaite and then staged an apparent attack against yourself as an alibi. 
I can only assume, my dear boy, that the blow on your head was much more serious than was feared. Well, I'm darn certain you didn't even get a blow on the head. Look at that bandage. I should have spotted it before. No doctor ever put on a bandage like that. But, Reg, I don't understand. The professor does. Don't you, white master? You're implying that I killed Sutherwick? Sure you did. And then scrammed back here and bandaged yourself from this supposed attack that never took place. Assuming you were right. How do you think you could ever prove it? It wouldn't be hard. You see, the murderer never spoke up at the meeting. Satherwaite commented on that fact just before he was killed. We have a record of all the other voices except the murderers. Why was he so silent all evening? Because he knew about the dictaphone installed in the next room, and the only person who knew that, beside the three of us who were together in one room, was you, Professor. Well, you're more clever than I thought, Hood. But I also know your reputation about never going on. You won't be able to do much about this. Oh! Is he dead? No. He's not dead. Where were you hiding a gun? I shot him through my handbag. Where'd you learn a trick like that? Since my father's death, I've learned to be quite handy with a revolver. I'll say. I'm very grateful. You know... You're a remarkable girl. You're quite a remarkable man, Gregory. Oh. Well, when we've delivered the professor to the powers that be, let's go back to that bar where I first met you yesterday. I think we've both earned a drink and an opportunity to discuss that full new life you were talking about. <laughs> That's one story where your old formula really worked for you. You mean knowing the guy who knows? Yeah, that's a pretty neat trick for solving cases, if it always works like it did this time. Well, it always does work, Marks. All that I am or hope to be, I owe to my formula. All that I am or hope to be, you owe to... Yes? Knowing the family that knows. Yeah, maybe you're right, Greg. Of course I'm right. Go ahead and prove it. Well, it's a pleasure to talk about the family that knows, the Petri family. It's because of what they know that Petri is such a wonderful wine. You know, the Petri family took time to bring you good wine. Yes, the Petri family has been making wine for generations now. So the art of fine wine making is actually a heritage in the Petri family, passed on down from father to son, from father to son. So just think of all the years of knowledge and experience that go into the making of every bottle of Petri wine. So when you see the name Petri on a bottle of wine, remember that it's more than a trademark. It's the personal assurance of the Petri family that Petri wine is, and always will be, good wine. Well, Greg, which story from the casebook are you planning to tell us next week? Well, Marks, we have a story about a mistaken identity, a body in a rumble seat, and a beautiful girl who fell in love once too often. We call it not wise, but too well. See you next Monday, Marks. Tonight's story from the casebook of Gregory Hood was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher, 
Original music composed and played by Dean Fossler. Elliot Lewis plays the part of Gregory Hood, and Sanderson Taylor is played by Howard McNear. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. The casebook of Gregory Hood comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Marks Hartman saying good night for the Petri family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same mutual stations at 8 o'clock to Richard Davis, Private Investigator, followed immediately by the casebook of Gregory Hood. This is the Mutual Donnelly Broadcasting System. The casebook of Gregory Hood picked up where the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes left off with the same writers, that would be Anthony Boucher and uh, Dennis Green, and also the same sponsor, Petri Wines. That was The White Masters, an episode from November 25, 1946. The last of the actors to play Sanderson Taylor was the one you heard there, Howard McNear, several years before he played Doc Adams in Gunsmoke. Watch out for the body snatchers. It's suspense next here on Skywave Audio Theater. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a story called The Body Snatchers. It was based on the true story of William Burke and William Hare. And then there was the 1945 film The Body Snatcher, loosely based on the short story. That starred Boris Karloff and Henry Daniel and Bela Lugosi. Taking that uh, grim chapter in history as his cue, mystery master John Dixon Carr wrote The Body Snatchers. Early on, suspense dealt in that sort of thing, and occasionally did in later years, too. From suspense of November 24th, 1942, this is The Body Snatchers. The hushed voice and the prowling step in the dead of night. The crime that is almost committed. The stir of nerves at the ticking of the clock. The rescue that might be too late, or the murderer who might get away. Mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure. We invite you to enjoy stories that keep you in... Suspense. For Suspense, tonight we present The Body Snatchers by John Dixon Carr. Beware of the body snatcher who prowls after dark. Beware of the graves he robs. Beware of the murders he commits to provide new corpses for the doctors. Up to the year 1832, the body snatchers terrorized England. According to the law, only four bodies a year could legally be supplied to the surgeons for anatomical study. And even these 
were a monopoly granted to the Barbers and Surgeons Company of London. But the study of surgery had to go on. In hundreds of medical schools all over England, perfectly reputable doctors were compelled to buy bodies and ask no questions. In 1828, burst the scandal of Burke and Hare, who found grave robbing too slow and murdered 16 persons in order to supply Dr. Knox of Edinburgh. And so, out of basic good purpose, sprang the evil of... The body snatcher. Turn back the clock now to a cold night just 110 years ago. Look into the brick kitchen of a house on Wandsworth Common, not far from London. There in the light of a tallow dip sits old Mother Slade in her draggled bonnet. What's a keeping them? Two hours. Two mortal hours by the Dutch clock. And they're not here yet. Mother Slade. In the graveyard, not half a mile off. And once I thought I heard church bells ring. And one... Mother Slade, did you call? No, my girl, I did not call. But I thought I... And what are you doing up at this hour, my girl? I was only locking up, Mother Slade. Ain't it enough to have taken you over from a good-for-nothing mother not worth the gunpowder to blow her up? Please, Mother Slade. And given you a good home? And brought you up practically like a lady? With only the housework to do. I'm sorry, Mother Slade. Only I wish you wouldn't talk like that about me own mother. And what do you do, Peggy Lester? You stop up until this hour. You mislay me snuff box 20 times a day. I was only going to say, I thought I heard a horse and cart in the lane. In our lane? Yes, Mother Slade. There it is now. Yes. Easy, my dears. Drive easy with the merchandise. The doctors don't like it if you bump the merchandise. Merchandise, Mother Slade? What's that? I'll tell you what it is, my girl. I didn't mean anything, Mother Slade. It's your Uncle Matt and your cousin Robber coming home from their business. That's what it is. You hear that, Piggy Lister? I didn't mislay your snuffbox. It's on the table. And if you don't want me to take my fingernails to you instead of the strap, you get on up to bed this minute, dear. Yes, Mother Slade. I'm a coming, my dears. Don't be impatient. I'm a-coming. Nasty dim light this candle gives. Oh, old Mother Slater's got the rheumatics so cruel she can hardly move. Just pull back the bar, open the door. Wilmette, did you get it? Did we get it? Strike my blind, but that's a good one, ain't it, Rob? Stow the gab, cord you get. Get inside and close the door. They ain't after you. Ain't they? Can't you hear anything? I thought I heard church bells. More like a perishing funeral bell, if you ask me. Take it easy, Rob. Take it easy. We've shaken them off. Have we? I wish I was as certain as some people. The spades and sack is still in the cart. Let them stay. Who's a coming to find them? Then you didn't get it after all, you sick scalperer. Now, don't you start a blaming us. No, you shut your potato trap, Mother Slade, or metal make you shut it. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. We was too quick, that's what. The girl was only buried this afternoon. The sooner the better, my dear. What's the good of the merchandise if it ain't fresh, eh? You hold your noise and listen. 
We left the horse and cart outside like we always do. We creeps up to the lich gate of the churchyard. Walk softly, Matt. Walk softly, Rob. In your oily beaver hat and neck claws. Under the starlight and the white frosted elms. Take care of the graves, too. Spring guns may be set in some of them. To protect the dead from marauders. And if the coffin is one of those new iron ones, all your labor will be in vain. Open the gate softly. Don't make such a bloody row with them shovels. I can't help it. I'm loaded down with all this stuff. Oh, and who'll do all the work when we do get there? I will. Matt. I. Listen. I can't hear nothing except your teeth are chattering. Matt. There's other people besides us in this here churchyard. Aye, two or three hundred deaders. But they won't bother us. I means living people. Don't talk soft. Somebody's got a dark lantern. I seen it flash past the gravestones. Oh? Where? Can't you see it now? It's coming straight toward us. Yes, I see him. Come on. They've seen us, Matt. He's about to down behind the gravestones. Crash down. They can't shoot through stone. Matt, it says here, sacred to the memory it's of... It's the girl's relatives. They've been watching her grave. Oh, truth. If only I had me barkers. First time in two years I've gone without a brace of pistols, and this happens. But you ain't got your barkers, Matt Patterson. I got what's just as good. Give me a shovel. What are you going to do? Charge them. This here shovel's got a nice edge. Are you daft? They'll have to take time out to reload, won't they? Hear that? Somebody started the bill. That'll bring down every peeler within a mile. If you want a Tyburn ticket and a neck in, your, in a rope, stop where you are. But if you don't want to get scragged before your time, follow me. That's all there is to it, Mother Slade. We went out by the gate and blow me if they could stop us. You perishing numbskulls. Did they recognize you? No. We had our neckerchiefs around our eyes. And did you do it? I don't know. There's blood on the shovel. No, there ain't, Mother Slade. I wiped it off. Anyway, we're here. What I want now is a Christian fire to sit by and a drop of spirits to warm my stomach. There's no spirits in the house, Matt Patterson. Don't you lie to me, you ugly mouth. Let go of me, Matt Patterson. I'm warning you. Better let it go, Matt. There's no spirits. Only half a loaf of bread. Don't I know it. I haven't tasted a drop of gin all day. Black dogs on me back. Well? Ark at what I say. The doctor was promised a corp tonight. All right, dearie, he gets a corp tonight. Oh, there's that funeral bell again. What's the clock, old hag? Come on, spit it out. A nice young corp without any trouble or bother. Aye. What about young Peggy upstairs. 
Strike me blind. What about it, eh? You'd have to be mighty careful. Why? You'd have to smother her with a pillow while I sit on her legs. That's what Burke and Air done up in Edinburgh. Then you don't leave any marks on them. See? You're off a tick weight. What? If the doctors see they've been polished off, just plain murdered, they won't have nothing to do with it. These ways they don't like it. Like it or not, dearie, they all do. Who's buying the beef tonight? Dr. George Arnold. Him? The young fella out Fulham Way? That's the man, dearie. But I thought he was too pious and holy to play. That's what Dr. Arnold thought, too, till they started putting the screws on him at Bart's College. No corp, they said to him. No lecture. No lecture, no students. They all comes to it, dearie, sooner or later. What beats me is why they got to have these bodies. You'd think the doctors killed enough people as it is without buying them after they was dead. Don't you question the ways of providence, Matt Pedersen. You can't do it, Matt. You can't do it, Mother Slade. You stole that noise, Bob Plinties. Do you want to wake the poor girl upstairs? But you can't do it. This Cove Arnold, he knows her. Arnold knows who? He knows Peggy. Peggy Fair worships the ground he walks on. Oh. He set her arm once when Mother Slade broke it, accidental-like, and she can't forget him. What's Arnold going to think when he opens up the sack and he finds What his... can Arnold do? He's bought her, ain't he? He can't go to the police and say he's bought her. Peggy. Peggy Lester. Don't do it, Mother Slade. Don't do it. And how do you two sickheads know what Mother Slade is going to do? You're going to kill her. Ain't you? Peggy. Peggy Lester. I, I thought I heard her moving about upstairs. You did, Mr. Milk and Water. She's on the stairs now. Rob, you're the least to be depended on. Go out and fetch in the sack. Don't do it. It'll bring us all bad luck. Matt, you're a lad after me own heart. You stop where you are and do just as I tell you. Trim the candle. Let's have it all nice and snug. Mm. What'll she bring, do you think? Fifteen guineas. Hmm? Maybe twenty. <laughs> Maybe more. Twenty guineas? Strike me blind. But this is a way of doing business that I like. Shh. Listen. Did you call me Mother Slade? That's right, my ducky. That's right, my little pet. Put your wrap around you and your slippers to keep your feet warm. And come right down here to Mother Slade. I'm coming, Mother Slade. I'm coming. Who in those times would be a surgeon and still be an honest man? At that drugged hour of the night. Look into the sitting room of a spacious house. Many candles are still alight there, though they have burned down nearly to their silver sockets. There is Chinese paper on the walls and a turkey carpet underfoot. In front of the fire, now almost out, sits Dr. George Arnold with his bottle green coat and heavy hair.
Dr. Arnold, sir. Uh, I, 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 I beg your pardon, Mrs. Tancred. Dr. Arnold, sir, it's gone two o'clock. Yes, yes, oh yes, so it has. You've got a lecture to deliver tomorrow, and you'll be all worn out. Why don't you go on up to bed? Mrs. Tancred. Yes, sir? You're a jewel of a housekeeper. I admire you, and I can't do without you, but would you please go away and let me alone? Oh, sure, I'm very sorry, sir. No offense intended. Ah, uh, stop. I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm... Uh, I'm thinking too much, perhaps. And smoking too many cigars, if you'll excuse me. Why must they keep tolling that bell at East Hill Church? Why must they keep it up all night? Well, sir, Elsie says the parson told them to do it. Elsie... Well, wait. Who, who is Elsie? Oh, Dr. Arnold, sir. I know you're always up in the clouds, mooning over books and whatnot, but I did think you'd recognize the name of your own parlor maid. Oh, oh that Elsie. I see. Well? Elsie says... It's because of the murder in the churchyard. What murder? Two resurrection men. Body snatchers, sir. Oh, you wouldn't know anything about such people. No, no. No, of course not. They were caught trying to rob a grave. But they got away. One of them was a horrible big fella. Spit Willie Kendrick's head open with the edge of a shovel. Is anything wrong, sir? No, not exactly. Well, I thought for a second, seeing how you looked. Did they... did they get the body? Yes, sir. It was Willie Kendrick. His head was split open with a shovel. No, no, I, I mean, did these resurrection men get what they were after? No, sir. Thank God. Oh, you may well say that, Doctor. Well, I wasn't exactly speaking in the religious sense, but never mind. What Elsie says, there are what she calls peelers all over the place. Peelers? Yes, these new policemen. After Sir Robert Peel. And somebody from the new detective police that they're using instead of the Bow Street Runners. Well, Mrs. Tancred, I'm going to smoke one more cigar and... Then I'm going to bed. Very good, sir. You see, sometimes you give orders, then it's too late to recall them. Whatever the medical practice is, you, you can't look your conscience in the face afterwards. Then, I can't tell you how or why, a miracle comes along and saves you, and you're free, you're... What was that? Sounds like a horse and cart in the drive, sir. Mrs. Tancred. Yes, Doctor. Will you please go upstairs? Now, make haste. But if it's visitors, sir, or even a patient... Mrs. Tancred, you heard my instructions. Obey them. Sir, there's the front door, Yes, I, I heard it. For the last time, go away. I will admit whatever visitors we have. Yes, sir. Good evening, dearie. Oh, come into the sitting room here, Miss... Uh, Mrs. Slade. No, sir. Just call me Mother Slade. It don't hardly seem natural or friendly to hear anything else. It's a pleasure to curtsy to you, Doctor. Coo, what a lovely room. I, I suppose... Your candles is going out, though. One by one. Poof. Then you'll be in the dark. I suppose you've come to report failure. Failure, dearie? I, I understand you didn't get what you went after. Bless you, dearie. We got something just as good. Finest piece of merchandise you ever saw. You haven't got it here. Bless you, dearie. Mother Slade always keeps her word. Bring the merchandise in, my dears, so the doctor can see it. Quiet, please. Oh, of course, dearie, I forgot. The big fella with the black eyebrows is Uncle Matt. The little fella with the watery eyes is Cousin Rob. And between them, in that sack, they're carrying... Well, who is it in the sack? Nineteen-year-old girl, dearie. 
Finest anatomical specimen you ever saw. Merciful. Where'd you want this here thing dumped, Governor? Easy now, Matt. Why did you bring it here? That's where you told us to bring it, dearie. I, I mean, why did you bring it to the front door? Why not to the surgery? Only place in the house where there was lights, Governor. Hurry up now. Where do you want it? Well, take it. Yes, dearie? Take it over and put it in the cupboard there where I'm pointing. This cupboard here, sir? Yes, then, then close the cupboard door. Shame on you two. Tracking your muddy boots over the doctor's lovely turkey carpet. Easy, my dears. Easy now. All right, Robin. She goes. Don't bruise the merchandise. Whatever you do, don't bruise the merchandise. Right, me blind. What's the odds? She can't feel it now. There's your body, Mr. Sawbones. Now, let's see your money. Well, just one moment before I give it to you. There ain't no itch in this, is there? Uh, better not be. No, I I made a bargain with you and I'll stick to it. Thank you. That's uncommon genteel of you. Kindly stand back, sir. You're two stone of fat heavier than I am and you don't impress me. Easy, Matt. Take it easy. I, I want to ask only one question. Where did you get that body? That's a question, dearie, what people in your profession don't ask. Why not? Because they don't dare. That's why. Would the police be interested in where you got the body? No, dearie. Not half so interested in as where we brought it. To your house. It's your responsibility now. Yes, I suppose it is. The victim wouldn't be, by any chance, that pretty little girl you used to treat so unmercifully. You hold your noise about how I treated her. I was rather fond of Peggy. Oh, 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 oh. Strike me blind. I think the sawbones... Oh, get out of this house, all of you. Go on, get out. Not without that money, dearie. It's 20 guineas now. There's money on the table under that newspaper. Take what you want, honey. Get out of here before I... Oh, what was that? Aye. What was it? A late visitor, I imagine. Was you expecting anybody? Eh? Hey? No. Don't drop the lovely money, Rob. Don't yeah. drop it all over the carpet. Pick it up. Is there a back way out there? Yes, it's the way you should have come. Through that arch and, and down the passage. Thank you for the rhino, Governor. And no games, mind you. If you know what's good for you. Good night, dearie. Remember, you've got the body now. Yes. I've got the body now. Poor... Poor little devil. Dr. Arnold, sir. In heaven's name, Mrs. Tancred, haven't you gone to bed yet? I had to get up, sir, to answer the oh, bell. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I, I'm sorry. Why, Dr. Arnold, what's the matter with you? Matter? You're as white as a ghost and you're almost crying. Am I? Well, we must remedy that. Oh, it's so dark in here, I could barely see you sitting there. The candles going out one after another. Nothing but smoke and an ugly smell of grease and that cupboard door. What about that cupboard door? Well, I always declare, sir, it won't keep shut without any latch or bolt. If you'll excuse the level... Mrs. Tancred, keep away from that cupboard. Dr. Arnold, sir. Are you ill or anything? No, but keep away from that cupboard. Who... who rang the bell? Oh, dear, I was almost forgetting. It's that man Elsie was talking to us about. What man? The officer of the detective police, sir. He wants to see you. Well, I'll see him, but... In some other room, not here. It's, as you say, there's not enough light. Uh, not a bit of it, Doctor, not a bit of it. Never too dark, as you might say, where the police are concerned. Oh, I couldn't help it, sir. He must have followed me down the hall. Uh, are you... Uh, that's right, Doctor. I'm Stalker at your service, Inspector Stalker. Well, 
How do you do, Inspector? Mrs. Tancred, you may go. Oh, your leave, sir. I'll just get some more candles and put them in that bracket by the cupboard. It's not in use. No, you needn't trouble. Oh, it's no trouble, sir. Excuse me. First of all, Doctor, I must apologize for intruding as late as this. Uh, not at all, Inspector. Will you be seated? Thank you, sir. Thank you kindly. Now, I dare say you're wondering why I'm here. Well, yes, I am, rather. It's a bad business, Doctor. A very bad business. You mean the murder in the churchyard? Oh, you've heard about it. Well, my housekeeper said something about a, a man being killed with a shovel. That's right, Doctor. Not much doubt about who did that. No. No, the little fellow dropped his dark lantern with the initials on it. They're professional body snatchers. We've had our eye on them for a long time. Speaking of body snatchers, Doctor... Well? I expect this anatomy law is pretty hard in you surgeons. It's an infamous law, sir. All the same, Doctor, it is the law. Ye yes. And if any surgeon happened to be caught with a body... Especially a murdered body. What are you, what are you hinting at? Oh, nothing, Doctor, nothing. By your leave, I only want to ask a question. Well? What time did your friends leave? Now, come, Doctor. As one man of the world to another, do you see any green in my eye? You are not going to say you had no guests when their horse and cart are still at your front door. They didn't get away. No, Doctor, they didn't. They made a little reception committee as they left by the back door. Darby's on the wrists. Snap. Just as I might reach out and touch your wrist. Like this. What do you mean by Darby's? Handcuffs. I've got a pair in my pocket. Gags into their mouths. That's to keep them from biting. Look, do we have to go on with this? You, you already seem to know everything I could tell you. Not exactly everything. I don't know, for instance, where you've hidden the girl's body. You're a very diligent man, Inspector Stalker. Thank you, sir. I try to do my duty. You said a, a girl? These gin-muddled degenerates have been watched every second since they left East Hill Churchyard. They hadn't a body then, but they brought one here. And there's only one other person who lives in the same house with them. Dr. Arnold, sir. Mrs. Tancred, listen to me. Yes, sir? Must you always break in with the most completely ill-timed entrances at all the worst period of my life? I was only trying to be helpful, sir. That's right, madam. Always be helpful. You had to have some light. Here's the candles, sir. Five of them in a big candelabrum. We can hang them in the bracket. Ma'am, hold up that light. Hold it high. Really, sir? I'm not in the habit of being spoken to as... Hold it high, I tell you. Do as the inspector tells you, Mrs. Tancred. Oh, this is a very fine carpet you've got here, Doctor. Yes, others have admired it tonight. Mm, but it oughtn't to have footprints on it. Muddy footprints. Footprints leading from the door, past the sofa, past the half, over to... To that cupboard. Quite correct. I think that's done it, Dr. Arnold. I think it has, Inspector Stalker. Mm, we couldn't have proved anything against you for that churchyard business, but this... Let, let me open Bluebeard's cupboard, Inspector. Let me be the first to show you what's inside. You wanted a, a certain body. It appears you've come to the right place. Now, look. Lord Almighty. I'm the body, Mr. Police. Standing up, I'm very much alive. 
And I'm wearing a nice new dress that the doctor gave me. That I gave you? Don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Uh, stop a bit, miss. Aren't you Peggy Lester? Yes. Just because the doctor has to be so terribly respectable and a girl who's fond of him has to come here in secret... Wait a minute, everybody. Peggy Lester, you're lying. I am not lying. So that's it. Why didn't I guess it? It's the oldest body snatcher's trick in the world. Is it? Of course, the old pinch penny, like Mother Slade, couldn't sacrifice a good household grudge. Of course, they brought the body here, instead of taking it to the surgery, where it might get locked up. Could you be persuaded, Inspector, to, to tell us just what you're talking about? The body snatcher, sir. Well, what about them? They take a living accomplice and put him into a sack and sell him to a green doctor as a dead man. Yes, but see here, I... They get the best price they can. Then in the middle of the night, that accomplice gets up and robs the doctor's house. And the doctor can't tell us because he's bought illegal goods. I never intended to go through with it. No, young woman? I tell you, I wasn't going to rob the house. They made me do this. I was going to tell Dr. Arnold. When I found out where they were taking me, I pretended to go through with it so I could warn the doctor. They can hurt so much, you'll agree to almost anything. That sounds like the truth, but it puts me in a funny position and no mistake. Well, your, your three murderers, Inspector, seem to be, seem to be leaving. Yes, they're leaving right enough. Trussed up like fowls and under guard. Does anybody go with them? Well, how can anybody go with them? I'm willing to believe this girl acted under threats. She's committed no crime. And I don't for the life of me see how we can touch you. Can't touch me? No, sir. I confound you for making me lose a night's sleep. There's no body. We didn't, you didn't even buy a body. Will you tell me, doctor, just what crime you've committed? And so ends The Body Snatchers. The story of London at midnight, a hundred years ago. And tonight's story of... Suspense. Columbia presents these tales of mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventure for your relaxation and enjoyment. Next Tuesday, there will be another in this series. Same hour, 9.30 Eastern Wartime. William Spear, the producer. John Dietz, the director. Alexander Semler, the composer, conductor. And John Dixon Carr, the author. Our collaborators on... Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. It was a real phenomenon 150 or 200 years ago, body snatching, all for the sake of medical science, with some notable historical incidents involved. That was mystery writer John Dixon Carr's take on the phenomenon, 
The Body Snatchers, Suspense, from November 24th, 1942. Quite the trick, too, putting a living person into a sack and selling him or her as a corpse to a surgeon and then having the supposed deceased get out of the sack and rob the surgeon who can't report the crime because, after all, it was an illegal transaction. From the dim, foggy streets of London, we'll broaden our horizons with 2,000-plus next on Skywave Audio Theater. The first adult science fiction series on radio was 2000 Plus, an anthology program using all new material written by Sherman H. Dreyer. The science could be pleasantly casual, and uh, the stories didn't shy away from melodrama either, but in the long run, the series had a way of looking at America from a distance, a vast distance. This is Worlds Apart. It's 2000 Plus from November 29, 1950. Transcribed earlier for release to our West Coast audience at this more convenient listening time. Central Operational Headquarters, Commander Dystra speaking. This morning at 400 hours, our electronic scanners picked up on oscillator frequency an unidentified spacecraft in Sector K beyond the gravitational field of the planet Mars. Our calculations indicate that this craft will arrive in Space Sector G within the next 24 hours. Emergency directions to all defense units. Coordinate high-voltage destroyers to cover Area G. All units on alert for assault action. To learn what happened when a strange craft from outer space came into Sector G, listen in a moment to 2000 Plus. Adventures in the World of Tomorrow. Dramatic stories of science fiction from the years beyond 2000 A.D. Today, the strange adventure of men who dared the unknown through interplanetary space. Worlds Apart. And one thing more, Johnson. Your new Alimoid space suit has been tested and it's everything you claimed it to be. Light, pliable, fireproof, a splendid product. We'll want 50 of them in time for the next space flight three weeks from now. Can you make it? Excellent. Good luck, Johnson. Yes? Your son is here, Mr. Granger. He wants to see you. Jim here? Well, tell him I can. All right, send him in. Yes, sir. And Miss Ames, tell Roberts he can start punching tape for the mechanical pilot on flight 17. Yes, Mr. Granger. Hello, Dad. How are you, Jim? Dad, I've come to ask a favor of you. Uh, a big favor. Well, talk fast, son. I'm very busy. Uh, what is it you want? I want to be assigned to Flight 17. What? Flight 17? To Neptune? Well, are you crazy? No, Dad. I, I've been thinking about this for months. Well, you can stop thinking about it right now. There's no opening for you, son. I, I happen to know there is, Dad. Golding's down with a bad case of acceleration, Ben. They'll need a new rocket engineer. But you're too young, too green. I've done 42 experimentals and three moon hops. I'm ready. Ready? Well, this is an uncharted trip, Jim. A trailblazer. 
You know what happened to the first flight to the moon, don't you? Ah, uh, yes, sir. Crashed on the lip of a giant crater. Yes, and the first ship that tried to reach Mars. Went haywire and shot off into deep space. And still you want to make this first flight to Neptune? Yes, sir. Well, <laughs> you have courage, son. I'll say that. But you're not going. Why not? Jim, it's not up to me. Captain Roberts chooses his own rocket engineer. You know, all I do is okay the man he selects. Then I guess I'll be making the flight there. You see, I persuaded Captain Roberts to select me. Captain Roberts on spaceship Phoenix on flight to Neptune, calling Marshal Granger, control station two. Roberts calling Granger. Are we still in contact? Roberts calling Granger. Do you read Granger, me? control station two. We read you, Roberts. We're still in contact. Go ahead, Roberts. Ready to report, sir. Proceed. At the end of 120 hours of flight, conditions are entirely normal. Crew and passengers have passed safely through five accelerations. We are cruising now at a speed of 12 galactic miles per second. Excellent, Roberts. Continue. Astrogation reading. Take it, Sandy. Astrogator Lawson reporting. Our position in space-time units, 17 hours, 4 minutes to the Mars-Jupiter axis, sector G. 23 degrees off the plane of the ecliptic. Exactly on course, Lawson. Well done. Rocket control. Take it, Jim. Rocket engineer Granger reporting. Average rocket discharge rate, 12.7. Consumption level, 19%. Available supply, 300 hours with B2 safety factor. Good work, son. Congratulations, all of you. Keep it up. Thank you, sir. Signing off. Huh. Everything okay back in the lounge, Jim? Oh, quiet a few minutes ago when I passed through. How about that chess game? Those two physicists still at it? Uh, <laughs> they're in no hurry. 50,000 miles to a move. Mm, real thriller. And uh, the music lovers? Wearing a groove in Beethoven's fifth. You know, I don't see how anybody... Dick. Yes? Watch your controls, pal. We've been swinging off course. Off course? Well, you're nuts, lad. I haven't taken my eye off the chart for a second. We've been right on the line. I'm telling you, we're off course, Dick. Six points. Better bring her back. You sure, Sandy? Am I sure? Oh, sorry, Sandy. Stupid question. Stand by for directional correction. Standing by. Lateral deviation, 6.2. Speed, 12. Magnetic index, gamma 5. Port side and auxiliary rockets, 5, 7, 13, 15. Ready to discharge. Discharge. Well, that's that. I still don't understand. Wait a minute, Dick. Something wrong. Huh? Wrong? What do you mean? We're off again. What are you talking about? We swung in the line for a second, then we pulled right out again. Oh, but that's impossible, Sandy. There isn't any wind drift or current out here in space. Anything in motion moves in a straight line until it comes within the magnetic field of some body. That's what I'm afraid of, Dick. I think we're caught in the toe of some tremendous mass. Oh, what mass, Sandy? The sun, Mars, Jupiter, everything's where it belongs, isn't it? There aren't any unknown bodies floating about? Maybe there are. Maybe the. Like what, Sandy? A comet. A comet? Yeah, a comet. That's what it must be. A wild, uncharted comet from outer space. Look, Dick. 
the atmosphere gauge. It's way up. We're not flying through a vacuum. There's something else out there now, some sort of atmosphere. Gas. Hot gas is forming the tail of the comet. You're right, Sandy. Listen. Hot gases and other things, too. Yeah. Sounds like pellets of some kind. Stones. They're fragments. Meteorites. All trailing behind the comet. We're caught, Dick. Caught right in the middle of it. The ship. It should be in its bend. We'll be dragged clean out of the solar system, perhaps out of the galaxy. Oh, maybe not, Sandy. There's one chance. Maybe we can blast ourselves free. Alert. Alert. All personnel to emergency acceleration couches. Prepare to discharge all portside rockets. Yeah, do you know what you're doing? 127 rockets going off at one way. You'll, you'll blow us a bit. Our only chance, Jim. Here goes. Five seconds. Discharge. Ranger, control tower, calling spaceship Phoenix. Ranger, calling Phoenix. Come in, Phoenix. Ranger to space patrol, special alert. Spaceship Phoenix bound for Neptune, missing 12 hours. May be lost or out of control. All units stand by to intercept signals, if any. Frequency, 40,000. Relay any information to Marshal Granger, Control Tower 2. That is all. Where are you, son? Where are you? get up. Come on, man. I I'll give... No. Sandy. Dead. Dick, you're all right. Thank God. Yes, Jim, I I'm all right. But Sandy... I, uh, I know. Head cracked against the control panel. Three passengers are dead, but we're out of it, Dick. Something threw us clear of the comet, some centrifugal force. Help me up, Jim, quick. I give me the control panel. Rocket engines are out. And the boosters? Seem to be okay. Good. We've got enough to operate on. Maybe. What do you mean? The nuclear overdrive is shot. Shot? Smacked by a meteorite. Jim, we've got to find out where we are. We can't afford to waste a unit of power. Do you know anything about astrogation? Not a thing. Beyond the moon, I'm lost. Oh, that's great. A crippled ship lost somewhere in space and a dead astrogator to show us the way. I'll have to make a wild stab at our position. What's your guess, Dick? Well, how can I guess? We may be near Neptune or way out near some far-off galaxy. Let's take a crack at that radio relay. Maybe uh, we... I've been trying all along. Can't raise a thing. I'll keep trying. It's our only chance. Okay. I'll take a look through the port, see if I can make out anything. Spaceship Phoenix calling Earth stations Mars, Jupiter, Earth. Spaceship Phoenix. Are we coming through? Can't recognize a star, a planet, an astral body. Jim? Spaceship Phoenix. Can you hear it? Can you hear it? How long is it since we blanked out? Can't say, Dick. All our instruments went haywire. Spaceship Phoenix, Flight 17 for Neptune in distress. Are we coming through? Answer us. We may have... Dick, listen. Spaceship Phoenix, you're coming through. We hear you. We've got him. 
They, they heard it. No, no, it can't be. Give me that mic. Hello? Hello? This is Space Flight 17. We're off our course and badly damaged. Opposition unknown. We have located your position, Spaceship Phoenix. Stand by, please. Jim, that's Earth. We're blown or sucked the world right back toward Earth. Hello, Phoenix. Are we still coming through? Like music, sir. Very well. We're going to bring you in on a beam if you're within range. Does the signal reach you? Please acknowledge. Got you. Got you perfectly. Good. Set your degravitators and disengage all engines. We're in free flight, sir. Instruct all personnel to get into acceleration compensators. You will land at our spaceport in approximately four hours. Ranger to engine room, landing jets fore and aft. Discharge. 50 feet, release airlock, switch on landing lights. 10 feet, prepare to land. Contact, cut motors. Ah, we've landed, Jim. We made it. <laughs> Don't I know it? Come on, pal. Out you go. Oh, take your time. We're in no rush now. You may not be, but I am. In a rush to get down at this good old terra firma. Oh, boy, does this air smell good. What a spaceport, Jim. I didn't know we had anything anywhere that looked like this. I don't care what it looks like. All I know is that... Here oh. comes someone. Hello? Hello there. I'm Captain Roberts of the Phoenix. Are we glad to see you? Then where you are. Hey, what's the idea? Well, you don't understand. I, I said I'm... Don't move. Captain Roberts, you and your crew and your passengers are all under arrest. Elf and Smith, take over the ship and seal all the exits. No one is to leave. Captain Roberts, you and your companion come this way, please. Authority are we being held prisoners? I want to know. I have the right to demand to know. Captain Roberts, you're hardly in a position to demand anything. Well, what is my position, sir? The title is Commander. Commander Deister. Commander? Commander, you know that you will be held responsible for any harm to my passengers or ship. There's no cause for alarm, Captain, or threats. Simply holding you here at Green Valley for a short while till we check your credentials. You've inspected our ship. You know we carry no contraband. Since when does an American have to have his credentials checked in his own country? I've already explained to you that this entire area, all 500 square miles of it, is government property devoted exclusively to secret research projects. Now, is it perfectly obvious why we can't allow you and your passengers to walk about freely? Maybe, but it isn't obvious why we're not allowed to use the visiphone. Why we can't call our base, report our safe landing. Perhaps not, Captain Roberts. But then, government regulations often are obscure. Commander Dyster, we were met with guns and suspicion. Now, you say that was because secret research is going on. Yet when you contacted us above the Earth's atmosphere... You offered to bring us in here. Why did you make that offer if you didn't want us here? Would you rather be back in space, floundering about in your crippled craft, 
that can be arranged. You haven't answered my question. We brought you in for two reasons. First, to save your lives if you turned out to be harmless. Second, because it is our policy to apprehend all craft entering our space sector. We have enemies. For the high-handed methods you use, I can see why. Not high-handed, Captain Roberts. During your detainment here, you and your company will be accorded full courtesy. We appreciate your courtesy, but we demand the right to contact Chicago here, now, and on that visitor. I'm sorry, that is impossible. Donna. Yes, Commander Dykstra? Arrange for suitable accommodations for Captain Roberts and his crew. The interview is closed. Commander Dyser, I... That is all, Captain. Send out a special bulletin to the Science Institute, to all chiefs of the following departments, astrogation, navigation, anthropology, astronomy. Is there anywhere in this solar system or in adjoining constellations a body known as planet Earth or America? Is there any community, area, or experimental station known as Chicago? I won't do it, Dick. I won't take this lying down. No? What are you going to do about it? I'll think of something. I'm certainly not going to sit around twiddling my thumbs while the great Dystra checks our credentials. I don't like the looks of this place any better than you do. Sacred project, he says. For all we know, it may be the headquarters of some gangster outfit. There are a lot of things about this Green Valley setup that bother me. Nothing definite. I I, I just get a feeling that everything's a little lopsided. As if I were looking at it through a a Coney Island mirror. Oh, easy now, Jim. You'll be going bats if you... Take it. I've got it. Got what? That visiphone. If we can get into Dystra's office some way, we can phone home. Oh, no, no. You're way off, Jim. There isn't a chance in a million. Why not? This room's not locked. They finished work for the day. We saw everybody leave. All right. All right, we'll try it. But, Jim, uh, watch your step with you. I feel sort of responsible for you. <laughs> So good. Try the door. Open. Inside fast. It's very dark in here. But... Now, where was that visiphone? Oh, it's right here. Put the call in, but don't light the scanning cone. I'll use this pocket flash. You listen for anyone approaching. Here goes. Your call, please. Get me Marshal Granger in Chicago. Chicago? Where is that? Chicago, Illinois, USA. Come on, operator. U.S.? Didn't you hear me? I said USA. I will check it, sir. If you... Come in, Jim. Drop it quick. We'd better get out. There's two ladies in the car to stand back here in the corner. Hello? Hello? Someone is here. Please come forward. I know you are here. I can hear your heartbeats. There are two of you there in the back. Please come forward. Oh, this is very childish. Mm, now, that is better. Now we can put on the lights. Good evening, Commander Dystrom. Captain Roberts. 
Congratulations, sir. A very impressive trick, hearing a heartbeat across a 40-foot room. Trick? Not at all, sir. If it seems strange to you, your hearing must be impaired. You know why we're here, I suppose. It's obvious. You're trying to use the visiphone against orders. You gentlemen have abused your privileges as guests. From now on, you will be held prisoners under lock and key. I've brought you your food, gentlemen. Uh, it's about time. Well, this is a fancy touch. A woman jailer. My name is Donna, Captain Roberts. I'm Commander Dystra's assistant. We just remembered you hadn't had any food tonight. Uh, that's very touching. Thank you very much. Now, take it easy, Jim. She's just carrying out orders. Donna, it was very kind of you to bring us this food, but uh, there's something we need even more. Well, what is it? We need some information. We're going mad. Well, if there's anything I can tell you... Anything. You could start talking now and continue all night. First, where is this place? Where are we? You're in Green Valley, Captain. Green Valley, Green Valley. Where is Green Valley? What continent is it on? What is it bounded by? I, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. Uh, you're wasting your breath, Dick. She won't talk. Uh, then uh, tell me this. How long have you been here? All my life. I was born here. Fifty-seven years ago. Fifty? You look like twenty. How old is Dystra? Ninety-two. And he can hear a heartbeat at forty paces? Ah, uh -huh. my hearing's even better. Listen. Do you hear the dogs barking in the distance? Nuts. If these people are a terrific hoax, or we've wandered into some weird out-of-this-world madhouse. Good night, Donna. Good night, gentlemen. I wouldn't try anything foolish. Shangri-La. Yes, that's where we must be. The place someone wrote about back in the 20th century. If you ask me, Ranger. it's probably the place. Yes, Dick, Dick, listen. Huh? Granger. Roberts. The window. There's someone below. Hello there. Who is it? It's me, Reynolds. Reynolds, the chess-playing physicist. Reynolds, how'd you get out? What are you doing down there? I escaped while the others distracted the guard. I'm making the dash for it. Dash for what, Reynolds? There's a small plane at the far end of the field. I spotted it this afternoon. Will you come with me? It's pitch black out there. You'll never find it. I'll find it if I have to feel my way. You're mad, Reynolds. We've got to get away, Roberts. Don't you understand? This place, it's, it's unnatural. I've seen things that have made my hair stand on... Now, a... Reynolds, listen to me. Don't go now. Perhaps tomorrow everything no, will be... No, all... not tomorrow. Now. Are you coming, Roberts? Ranger? Very well, when I come back with help, I hope you're still alive. Now, wait, Reynolds, come back. He's gone. Oh, I hope he knows what he's doing. Dr. Reynolds, you are out of bounds. That's Dyster. Come back, Dr. Reynolds. We cannot permit you to go any further. Last warning, Dr. Reynolds. Do not go near that place. There isn't a light on anywhere. How do they know where Reynolds is? Station 7. Stop that man. I think you're foolish to refuse the food we've been sending you. You haven't eaten all day. Please put it down, Dawn, and go away. Commander Dyser wishes me to express his regrets. The injury to Dr. Reynolds was most unfortunate. Tell Commander Dyster he'll pay for this. Tell him I said... The electronic beam merely paralyzes temporarily. It leaves no permanent mark. 
Dr. Reynolds will recover. How did they manage to hit him in the dark? Well, I... I don't understand. We see very well in the dark. Well, good night, gentlemen. Please eat your food. Commander Dystra will be offended if you don't. Mustn't offend Dystra, must we? Well, here goes this tray out of... Him, wait. It's foolish, really. We'll only get weak if we don't eat. Too weak to help ourselves if an opportunity comes along. Yeah, I guess you're right. Feel a little lightheaded already. Yeah, hand me that jug of milk. Oh, here you are. Pour one for me, too, will you? Three days we've been here. He could have checked our credentials a dozen times. Well, yeah, happy landing. Ah, I'm glad I'm done. Ah, Jim, look out. Yeah, what is it, Dick? Why'd you knock the glass out of my hand? Did you see the color of that milk? Green. Green? Green milk? Poison, that's all I can think of. Of course. Please eat your food, she kept saying. Come on, let's open that window and get rid of this tray. Here goes compliment to Jim Gregor. Well, well, what? What is it going to land? I didn't hear a sound. Did you see it as it went down? That heavy metal tray, that big jug, the glasses, they they didn't fall, Jim. They, they sort of floated down. As if, as if somebody had messed around with the force of gravity. They reduced the pull of the earth here at Green Valley, Dick. Maybe that's one of their secret projects, an anti-gravitational force. Dick. Dick, I'm going to find out. What are you climbing up on that windowsill for? Well, if it works for a tray full of dishes, why won't it work for me? I'm going to jump out, Dick. There's only one way to find out. Take a big jump. Just walking around doesn't give the answer. It's three stories. You'll land smack on those rocks below. Well, if I make it, you follow. And if I don't... I don't do it. Wait, don't jump. So long, Dick. I'll be seeing Joel at the end of a parachute jump. I think I'm going out of my mind, Jim. All those, those, those fantastic things that have happened since we landed here. The visiphone operator who never heard of Chicago or the USA. And Dyster who could hear a heartbeat across the room and see in the dark. Donna, 57 years old, looking like a chorus girl. Green milk. And a reduced gravitational pull. I don't like it. I want to get out. And there's our ship out in the middle of the spaceport, prepared and ready to go. Yeah, maybe we could... Dick... I just noticed something. Yeah? Last night when Randall... Last night it was pitch dark, but now... Now there's a full moon. What's so strange about that? Take another look at that sky. There. Over the rim of the horizon. Another moon. A second moon. What fools we've been. Don't you see what this means? We're not on the Earth at all. We've landed on some alien planet. We must get to Dystra at once. Yes, that is it. That explains the things that puzzled us. Your reference to Chicago, to the Earth. The small, strange differences between us. It's not the differences that bother me now, Dystra. It's the uncanny, incredible similarity between your planet and ours. Is it so incredible, Captain Roberts? We've shown you our astronomical charts. Our planet Vesta is exactly opposite the Earth, on the other side of the sun. Yeah, that's why we never discovered each other. 
We are 90 million miles distant from the sun. You are... 93 million miles. Well, no doubt both planets split off from the sun at the same time. Vesta is a little smaller than the Earth, and, and that fact, plus its nearer distance to the sun, gives us less gravity, but otherwise our development has paralleled yours completely. Even in appearance and in culture and language... You've reached precisely the same stage of development we have. Which simply proves, Granger, that similar conditions may produce the same results. One thing still bothers me. Yes? How do you stay so young, so vigorous? <laughs> that, it is simple. We live in peace and harmony. Our only concern is interplanetary threats. <laughs> That's why you were so... so rough on us. Precisely. Well... <laughs> Now that we understand each other, may I use your visiphone? You want to call Chicago? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I want to call our crew and passengers and tell them to get ready for the journey home. Next week, an incredible adventure from the world of tomorrow when a scientist crosses the border of what is known into the strange mysteries of the unknown. Be sure to listen. Peace and harmony are the key to long life, we are told. So we hear from the planet on the other side of the sun in 2000 plus. That was Worlds Apart from November 29, 1950. In addition to his 2000 plus work, Joseph Julian was in several episodes of Suspense and also worked a lot in TV in Dark Shadows, The Edge of Night, The Defenders, and others. I think it was Natalie Masters, pretty sure, that she was the one, better known as Candy Matson, detective, who voiced Donna. From this side of the sun, we'll have more excursions in sound next week. Hop along Cassidy, Bergen and McCarthy, Lux Radio Theater with an unusual role for an actor known as a comedian, and a very unusual story from the Weird Circle, too. All of that next week. I'm Norman Gilliland. Join me then, if you can, for Skywave Audio Theater.